I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they lengthily just Come on, it's lovely weather for a podcast together with you. I like that. I might have already done that. (laughs) I love it. Hey, what are people listening to right now, my friend? Well, they're listening to other than just joyous holiday music. This is the With Gorley and Rust podcast. I'm the aforementioned Gorley, Matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Rust. And, uh, you know, as you were singing that song, it, it reminded me, we've said throughout all of our, our uh, Christmas, uh, scary, scary Christmas <laughs> movies, uh, ooh, they do that thing where they slow down Christmas music a little bit to make things even creepier. Not so in Eyes Wide Shut. No, they slow down other music to make it creepier yes, and they, to great effect. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh that piano theme. Uh, I remember the summer after uh, we all saw that. If somebody found themselves in a living room with a piano, you're going to crack up a group of people playing that crazy ice Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a life I did not live. I would have liked to have experienced that. Oh, you should have been hanging out with my uh, dorky uh, theater kid <laughs> friends. No, I mean, the best friends in the world a person could have as a teenager. We were, I'll tell you later, but we were so stoked. We went to a midnight screening of Eyes Wide Shut. We couldn't. It was like I didn't even menace. think that would exist for this for some reason. You didn't? No. Like midnight screenings seem to be maybe getting to their burgeoning stage around this era. And this doesn't strike me as the type of blockbuster that would have that. But I guess it makes sense. Well, you know, I joke about it being a Phantom Menace, but maybe that was a couple of months after Phantom Menace. Maybe... Those multiplexes started going, hey, you know what? There's business in this. Right. It certainly was awesome because it let you break curfew. Because you're like, I'm staying out till 2 a.m. But I, the movie technically, like, I was going there before my midnight curfew. And this is something you negotiate with your parents? Or do you mean like citywide martial law? 
I think it began with my parents and then they said it as like city law uh, through various <laughs> committees. Uh, oh, but before we get into all of that, uh, it's so lovely to see you. It's lovely to be here. This is the fourth in our and final of our Tis the Season Christmas mini season look at horror movies set in the holiday times, but also um, relationship intrigue thrillers like this well, today. That's right. Relationship in- intrigue th- uh Thrillers and uh, Eyes Wide Shut, we've watched four movies, and between the two of us, we share four eyes, do we not, Matt? That's right. Eight, if you count our glasses. <laughs> eight, eight Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Uh, is our, uh, we're going to kickstart it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll be taking a small break, just a very small break, and after this episode, we'll be back with the Scream franchise That's for right. the late- 2021 and early 2022. Very excited about that. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk about horror films at great length in a cozy, easy listening manner. We've got a Patreon you can go to with Gorley and Rust. Uh, sorry, patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. And popping up there on the 28th is the new Project Red Light slasher draft part one <laughs> not number one it's not part one of two and we already recorded this with yes. uh, the great matt fraction and mark mcconville so much fun it was a blast i did feel like i thought about it afterward i thought i maybe had a little bit paul mccartney and get back energy where i was just like trying too yeah. hard to organize it you know what i mean what are you no you don't think so okay i thought you meant like you were bringing uh the joy and verve of like well, that collaboration with friends that That's i like, was i just uh i thought you were bringing that i i just felt responsible for everybody's time and so i i hope it flows nicely oh it flows beautifully because i had a blast too oh my gosh me too and uh um it, it'll it hey i think it'll be better than let it be personally <laughs> I mean, I and I love Let It Be. And I do I, too. I think it'll be even better. This podcast is one for the ages. That's what I say. <laughs> Listen, you can also go to um, uh, Redbubble and just search with Gorley and Rust. Oh, and there's yeah. merchandise. And I think there's still probably time to get it for the holidays. Depending, Ooh. Maybe not, depending on when you listen to this. But Right. And then last year, this is the last bit of business before we, we go. I'm sorry, last episode. I'm just making all sorts of weird verbal choices today. <laughs> Uh, we talked about how some of our readings of the baby xenomorph subscriber names got messed up. Right. And that's the whole perk of being a subscriber right. at that level. And asked people if their names hadn't been read to send us an email. Oh, good. And I'm just going to pop those few ones out in the beginning because those people Perfect. were looked over and they deserve a little special yes. holiday treat. Okay. Without a doubt. Yeah. So these are coming up here on my phone right now as we speak. And if you can't tell, I'm vamp, vamp, vamping away. Um, oh, I can vamp, 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 could you? do. Yeah. Uh, Vampity do. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, vampires feel particular pressure to vamp when they're emceeing <laughs> uh, the open neck nights? No, sir. It's open mic nights. I know you'd love to have an open neck <laughs> night given your proclivity and taste for blood, but... Okay. Okay. I'm all set. Here we go. I'll just handle these because there's only eight. Perfect. Heather Sachs, who says she's jealous of the Don Pardo name. So uh, forgive me when I say Heather Fe- Heather Sachs. What I mean is Heather Sachs. <laughs> Corey Vatter. Um, Taylor Shedden. 
Joel Edmonston. Woo! Terry Duck. Woo! PhD. Duck-themed puns are encouraged. Now I feel conscious that I didn't say woo after the first two names, so let me just say yeah. woo. Woo! Okay. And then we'll leave it to those listeners to re-edit. That. Yes. Terry K. Duck, PhD. You got any duck puns for that? Hmm. Uh... I can't think of one right quack, but get back to me later. <laughs> Wait, I could have said right now, but get quack to me later. And I, I like well the, I like yours much better. Thank you. Mildred Applebaum. Hmm. And um, Justin Wilsonian. Woo. And finally, Mick Elston. There it is. Thank you guys hey. for emailing. And again, Thank if you, you haven't heard your name read as a baby xenomorph, don't cheat us. <laughs> Send an email to withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and we will get you taken care of. Um, right. Have uh, we discussed, though, like to be in a room alone with only a baby Freddy, baby xenomorph, baby Jason, baby Michael? I think a baby xenomorph would be the scariest. Yeah. All baby. the other ones I think I could... Squish with my foot mm-hmm. if I had to. I agree. And they're like the most aggressive and instinctual. Mm-hmm. But man, a baby Jason, how how much would you love to hold Oh my Jason? gosh, I'd swaddle him in a damp, swampy blanket. <laughs> Sleeping bag. <laughs> um, so, oh my gosh, eyes wide shut, Matt. Here you suggested it made me so happy. Um, where should we begin? Do we begin about our recent watch or just our history? I like, think you sound like you have a rich history with this film. I want to hear your rich history. I don't history. really have a rich history, so I feel like we got to start with your... Every history is rich, though. Mine's just a popper of a history. I, I'll Then I'll get mine over with. I, I think I saw it in the theater. At this time, I was a Kubrick fan. Yeah. I remember the reviews for it were not good. The, like, the, the spirit in the air were like, yeah, Kubrick's kind of lost it on this one. Mm-hmm. I saw it and felt it was middle of the road. I've since come to like it much mm-hmm. more. There's mm-hmm. certain parts of it I like better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. I think I've watched this film probably once every 10 years since it's come out. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a nice constant. And um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, uh, when you said um, you were a Kubrick fan, did you get to see like Full Metal Jacket? I saw the Full the Metal Jacket in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you too young for The Shining or like a re-release or anything I, like that? I or? don't think I saw that first run in the theater, but I've mentioned on here before, I remember seeing the trailer in the theater in front of Going in Style with <laughs> with uh, George Burns, Art Carney, and Lee Strasberg, a sweet family comedy. And just, Is that the one on the video box or the poster? They're all wearing like um, Groucho yes, glasses and that's stuff. that's right. And they remade it with Morgan Freeman and I forget who else. That's right. But the poster doesn't have them in Groucho. Mo- no, I don't believe glasses, so. Glasses, which is a huge misstep. That's probably why we're not talking about that movie more. I agree completely. I, that's a weird match of those two. Very weird. And imagine being a, a little kid. I would have been, you know, seven at the time and seeing that elevator open with all that blood and that music. Oh, boy. Yeah. Did you see, was it the one, any like quick shots of like the mom and the boy like running outside the snowy? I don't remember. I was going to just... say, it'd be so funny if you went to the movies that night, the only little kid you got to see on screen was <laughs> that little glimpse of a kid running in fear. That would have set right with my anxiety levels, I think. Maybe there was a cute kid in going all the way. I don't remember one. 
I mean, George, George Burns is kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of like a... As a kid, I remember like identifying with George Burns as childlike. Yeah. Yeah, he was closer to me than uh, uh, Warren Beatty. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but isn't it that the case for everybody? Uh, yeah, my... Uh, yeah, dig in. My history, All I was also a Kubrick fan, and the reason I asked if you'd seen Full Metal Jacket was I hadn't, so this was like my... First, and since he Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick had died, it was like my only time. Yeah, because he died, what, four days after he turned this thing in? Basically? Yeah, I think it was like March 99. He turned it in, and then he died uh, four days later. Right. And uh, so I knew it was going to be... Uh, but yeah, like the two years up to that, oh my gosh, I was just such a Kubrick... Oh my! Remember your story about the mat about your friend. You were talking about mask, yeah, so much oh, yeah. <laughs> that he went, "Wow, you really like mask." Yeah. So I was so <laughs> obsessed with like Stanley Kubrick and got the video box set and would watch them and like asked my girlfriend at the time, "Let's watch all of his movies all Saturday like, <gasps> from beginning to end." And we got Wait, as could far you as get him in, even get him all in. No, it was oh. like yeah, you, that's a good question to ask that we didn't ask ourselves, which was, and we, I think we got like tired around like Barry Lyndon and like copped out, but it was like yeah. uh, um, uh, I was reading a book about him, and apparently. I was referencing the book a few too many times because I had a friend who was like, yes, oh, you've read that book? Yes. Yeah. It was like, I'm letting you know in a friendly way you're like talking about it too much. Yeah. yeah. So um, so by the time I got to see it, it was very exciting. And it was a midnight screening. Uh, we were running late and uh, a train like that can stop you because the train could just stop traffic oh, on no. a highway where we lived we had to stop and wait for a train and that put us behind even more and then we walk into the movie theater and like this is like the same multiplex where that summer I had seen like the South Park movie and American Pie I think within the last like three weeks of that I had gone to the midnight screening of those oh, did you do Man Phantom Menace midnight screening too I did it because I worked at a movie theater in my hometown oh, okay. where I got to see it these I had to go to Sioux City, Iowa with my friends to see. Gotcha. And to walk into a theater that was like familiar with what it had been two weeks previously, which was just like all high schoolers yeah. on, in summertime, just right. going crazy. <laughs> what grown up like goes to a midnight screening of Eyes Wide Shut? Like what, maybe. Was it full, the theater? It was packed wow. with. We all knew why we were there everybody was like horned up. They wanted to see like nudity on the screen. Please tell me you stood up and went like, where are my Jason, where are my Tom Cruise people at? My Bill Harfords. What is it? You're fine. What is it again? If you, if you want Bill Hartford to win, <laughs> scream real loud. If you want Alice Hartford to scream real loud. Uh, yeah. Um, and I can only... It did, and when the credits came, when the lights came up and the credits began, like, on the other side of the theater, about eight rows ahead of me, uh, I remember a guy standing up and saying, well, that's yelling, so everybody could hear him, well, that's three hours I'll never get oh, back. Wow. He said that. And it did occur to me when I was watching this that, like, 
when Tom Cruise walks in and he sees the mask yeah. on the pillow and then he starts Tom Cruise on screen is like weeping yeah. and going I'll tell you everything that's just like a weird art house movement moment like I'm shocked by the mask on the pillowcase uh-huh. but also like it's Tom Cruise like weeping you've really it's been like an hour and a half since you've seen any sort of nudity like outside of a corpse yeah like it struck me as so funny to think this 120 group of like high school seniors <laughs> like are watching this being like what the fuck uh, I loved it I mean I was so into it I couldn't uh, I was so stoked just to see a, a Stanley Kubrick movie in the theater blah 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 you know so where it, does this rank pretty high for your Kubricks or middle hmm. low it's tough it's almost you know now everybody's uh, with any time a new movie comes out by a director, you know, so everybody's like, "Oh, rank your Paul yeah. Thomas Andersons and stuff." Right. I think it's tough when all of them you love, and I think I do love all this Stanley Kubrick. Movie. Where does it rank for you? Well, it's uh, tough. I'm saying because I like yeah, them all. Yeah, I guess it's. I I actually have not seen Barry Lyndon or oh okay I've seen I, I've I saw seen Spartacus so long ago that I don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. but I think I've seen everything else. I'd put it in the lower half, I think, you know? Yeah. Which is not to say I don't like it. No, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I guess Kubrick was reported as saying he thought it was his finest film. Yeah. Interesting. I remember any time a Chevy Chase movie comes out, he always says, it was the funniest script I, I, I've ever read. Yeah. And so just maybe everybody has a little P.T. Barnum in him. It's like, yeah, I think so. Best. You got to hype up this like domestic drama. And just recency bias, it's fresh. I mean, I, I feel that about anything I'm working on. Like the newest thing always feels the freshest. So it gives it an element of, oh, it must yeah. be better. But that's, you don't that's know true. it until you got some distance on it. I definitely love it more and more each time I watch Eyes Wide Shut. I and uh, I think I might have told you like a year or so ago in a therapy session I was like reference size white shot I'm like and I've watched it a few t- you know I've watched it a lot of times so and the my therapist was like how many times would you say you've seen and I was like <laughs> I don't know maybe like in the twenties like twenty and she was like whoa <laughs> you <laughs> was, really like mask <laughs> don't you <laughs> you really like mask wearing movies like eyes wide shut uh uh it it might have been just like on a vocal volume level the biggest reaction i've gotten from my therapist after so many years of just like her surprise that and i was like uh maybe i said is that weird or something and she was like no it's just it's a it's a lot for (laughs) a movie i only saw once and i remember it being like long yeah yeah but do you find that this movie has risen in your esteem or lowered or it's risen. fluctuated? Yeah, it's risen. yeah. I think all of, I'm trying to think of any Kubrick movies that when I rewatch, they they lower. I'm like, oh, this is getting diminishing returns each time I watch it. But I agree with you, Gorley. I would say if I had a ring, this would be low on the lower half, even though I yeah. love it. I'm finding that my, the parts I like in the movie are rising in my esteem. The parts I don't care for are lowering in my esteem. So the Ooh. movie's like polarizing itself. I've, I can't yeah. think of another movie I kind of feel that way about. Wow, it's that's weird. Cool. Um, with Godfather Part 2, do you ever go back and go like, ooh, I, I actually find myself liking the 
contemporary quote unquote stuff. I don't I know guess, why I'm projecting that onto you. No, but I, I think I do get a slightly bored during the De Niro uh-huh. times. Yeah, me too. And I like the more contemporary one better. Yeah, it's, even it feels more both, fraught. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're both great. Yes. Um, what, so, uh, like, yeah, just br- broadly, what were, what are parts that you like that when you revisit they get better and the parts that you don't like that I think the parts I don't like that aren't aging as well for me are all the Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman bedroom drama stuff. Mm-hmm. When Cruise mm-hmm. gets out into the world, whether it's the dry cleaners, especially the Fidelio party, yeah. I'm so into that and it's not some prurient thing. I just, <laughs> I'm so fascinated by the mystique of a secret society yeah. and the powerful elite that would do these kind of, I don't know if deviance the right word, because it is such a thing that is so, so thick with conspiracy that yeah. I'm sure shit like this has happened, but it also seems so conspiratorial and fantasized yeah. that it's somewhere between reality and fantasy. And it's that perfect combination well that put. makes me so intrigued by it. Well put. I wonder if that's like, you're also describing like how I would really like uh, The Shining and stuff though too. It's this like, reminded me of The Shining a lot. Yeah. Um, when COVID started, it hit me because I watched The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut, like thinking like, oh, these are, they kind of share because it's about a husband, wife, chi- young child, basically the same age uh, between the two of yeah. them. And... Uh, but son and daughter uh, is the difference. But like, um, and then the funny, like they're kind of about the same thing, but just told like differently, which is like in the shining, it's like, I'm trapped in, I can't get out. And then eyes wide shut. It's like, Oh, if I go out, that's where all the danger is. If I just stay inside with my family, (laughs) the shit. I always think about like, Maybe the scene, the moment I think about most with Eyes Wide Shut is at the beginning when, uh, before he goes out at night, and you don't think about it when you're seeing it, like, you have to replay and go, oh my god, that's like, so different than where he wound up in the night. It's after they, like, put Helena to bed, and he's got, like, these cozy uh, slippers on yes. that are like, what was that, like, wool lined yeah, they or They almost some- look like uglies. Yeah, like short Ugg boots. Men's short Ugg boots. <laughs> Beatles. Low rise Ugg boots. Ugg boots of Beatles boots, yeah. And he's drinking a beer yeah. and watching a football game. Yeah. And she walks by and he kind of lifts up his legs to let her go by. And I'm, I think about how like, dude, you got it all. Yeah. Like that is awesome. That is so cozy. So then it's really funny to be like, wait, that's the same night? Where he winds up later, like yeah. coming home and like looking into his daughter's bed and like feeling shame and like hiding a mask and then like laying down to his wife who tells her about this dream where everybody fucked her. It's like, dude, you could have just stayed in your uh, slippers. I mean, I know he had to do that house call, but yeah. come on, man. Well, speaking of shoes, I noticed that even his dress shoes had like rubber treads on them. And I, I wonder if that's like a doctor orthopedic thing or something, but you'd think he wouldn't have worn those out. Or lifts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> We've talked about like Robert Downey Jr.'s lifts before. If you Google them, it's so ridiculous how big they are. <laughs> like they're like platform boots. I'm telling you that like, cause he'll, he'll wear like, you know, like nice Nike high basketball high tops. But imagine if those were high heels 
but but there wasn't that space between the heel and the like ball of your foot but you can just see the slope up and it's like there's some kind of like they almost look like the um the boots that Ripley wears to do the loader like that would lock into something or I don't know they're hilarious it's what really just, worth a google what if he just extended that where he did like the whole Ripley bodysuit thing and then just like put flesh over it to make it look like those were his arms and he greeted people uh, cuz what what's our man RDJ's real height no idea but he's hmm. he and Tom Cruise 5 1 <laughs> Yeah, he and Cruz are somewhere around each other. Probably. Yeah, but hey, you know, um, in the same way that uh, I named my son Sue, so he would have to fight yeah. to be a strong guy. Maybe it was Tommy C and RDJ's heights that made them so gosh darn charismatic. Uh, probably. And it made also, them have to own a room with sheer charisma. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that's probably has something to do with it. Yeah. God love them. Those <laughs> insane men who are captivating to watch on screen. Yeah. Uh, wait, so um, uh, somehow I got talking about those co- cozy Ugg boots, but um, you were saying the the stuff that aged well that you enjoy is like, yeah, the um, weird combination of uh, uh, reality or and mystique or yeah and, and all the stuff even all, all the scenes with Sidney Pollock God, the best I love him so much I love his character and how you slowly you know you quickly realize he's into some yeah you know some stuff but then <laughs> you realize he's in deep uh, yeah I just this movie has that right amount of Kubrick ambiguity that where I think there's no super big mystery to figure out, but it doesn't spell everything out to you a hundred percent. And there's yeah. a little room for interpretation, but which yeah. I, I think we should talk about cause I'm curious, some things speculation on certain things. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but, but then those, the bedroom scenes with Tom and Nicole for multiple reasons, for one thing, they've just, they seem like college acting class scenes oh boy. done by great actors, uh-huh. but just that's the type of scene you would do in, in the, college acting class because it's contained it's two people it's heavy mm-hmm. it's dark and then just knowing what i know about both of those people as actors now it's a little hard for me to get past that you know mm. just then on top of that knowing all the stuff kubrick made them do all the mm-hmm. multiple takes all the mm-hmm. mistrust he sowed between the two of them mm-hmm. reading about that how is this right that he the flashback shots or the dream shots of the naval officer with nicole kidman Kubrick made her do six days of nudity shots with him so hmm. that Tom Cruise would, and, and she said, he said specifically, don't tell Tom what you did so that there would be this kind of like mistrust between hmm. them. Yeah. So yeah, whenever I hear that stuff, I'm like, oh, actors are good. You don't have to do that. I know. Stuff to, uh, hmm. Okay. And then this shot, this movie shot for 400 days. Whoa. They... Cruz and Kidman had to have an open-ended contract because they didn't know when it would end. Both of them had to delay their next projects. Harvey Keitel and Jennifer Jason Lee were originally yes. in it, but had to leave because of scheduling conflicts. Yeah, Harvey Keitel was supposed to be the Sidney Pollack. Yeah. And uh, uh, the uh, woman he visits with the father who died was yeah. supposed to be Jennifer Jason Lee. I... I um who knows what it would have been like with Harvey Keitel. I prefer Sidney Pollack. Oh, but yeah, it's... It, it, it's sort of startling in how different choices they are. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't even go like, oh, I see what they, it, it was a vibe replaced by a similar vibe because with Harvey Keitel, 
who I think would have been awesome in it. His whole like thing in the nineties was just like he's in like Bad, Bad Lieutenant yeah. and Dangerous Game, like these like sexed up movie and the pianist where he's showing his dick. Like yeah. he was like known to be like horned up. Yeah. So the mystery of whether he's involved with this or not, kind of it just would play very differently than. Yeah, I prefer Sidney Pollock just because I know the performance. But I think just as an actor, Sidney Pollock just might like I know he's a director, like an actor sometimes, but he might be like a top ten actor for me. I, agree. I just love him. He's effortless. Effortless is yeah. the best word. He's yeah. just so so great. And so all those scenes are enhanced. And the difference too that I think he offers with um the Harvey Keitel is that he's like a um it's like more fatherly and yes. patriarchal and stuff. Right. So when he's giving that information to Tom Cruise at the end and stuff, it seems more like a, a mentor or a professor kind of giving you like the reality of a situation or the truth of the world rather than like a pervy, slimy guy. Like, I mean, yeah. be like, don't you get it? People fuck each other, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's got an air of, I don't know if it's like waspiness is the right term because I don't know what if he's I think he's Jewish but yeah, yeah he, might be he Jewish. has some sort of like you believe him as like this um, Upper West Side uh, doctor and yeah 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 he's got a uh, urbanity he's not about a doctor. him he's Where, a he's a, a doctor of like five other movies what uh, is yeah do they say what he is in this uh, I know his name's uh, Ziegler and no they make yeah. house calls for him but they he, I yeah. just feel like Harvey Keitel doesn't have the kind of sophistication and to a benefit for yeah. many of his roles that uh, Sidney oh, Pollack yeah. has that makes me just effortlessly believe he's this super wealthy yes. guy. Yeah. I totally, yeah, I understand. Yeah. the And then the, uh, uh, the turn that he gets to do, like everybody would love to play oh, that yeah. character. Oh my gosh. Oh, I read about that too. 200 takes that billiard room scene. Whoa. Like a specific God, and that's just like probably one setup or whatever of twenty five yeah. that are in that whole. Yeah, man, I wonder what. Um, well, I think we've talked about this before. I would, if I was, if I knew that was somebody's style. I would love it because it would give give it up to God. I would yeah. be like, oh my God, I have to nail this in three takes. And I just it's like fear, pity the editor. I would go through <laughs> all those seriously. It has to be somebody who had some. Masochistic way is like into it. Yeah, unless it's just like, like Kubrick yeah, himself. Two <laughs> Give it to me, baby. That's <laughs> the that was the pervious thing in Eyes Wide Shut is the, uh, and which should be now. This is a little NSFW. Don't have the kids around, but this is all lore and rumors. But did you ever hear before Eyes Wide Shut the gossip of why Harvey Keitel was fired? No, was. <laughs> And I remember hearing it, and then when I got to college after Eyes Wide Shut came out, like years later, a couple years later after it came out, people would be like, do you remember that rumor? And it was like, Harvey <laughs> Keitel uh, in a scene ejaculated in Nicole Kidman's hair. Or wait, wait, but they weren't even in, the, in any I know, scenes and then when together. you see the movie, it doesn't even make sense. That's like, shows how much... BS oh it was. Oh my god. It's obviously like inspired by there's something about Mary or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it had just to be been. like, oh. Yeah. Um, but then 
I love that actress who Jennifer Jason Lee would have played. Yeah. And I, I guess that happened because uh, they had to do reshoots and then Jennifer Jason Lee couldn't come back for the reshoots. And so they had to just recast the part. Mm. But I would love to see, I think, talk about top 10 actors. She's the best. Yeah. I would love to have seen that scene. I think she would have been really funny in the, I mean, that actor is really funny in the whole, yeah. uh, how would she? That's so much love at her eyes for Tom Cruise. Talk about, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like college acting scenes, because you know, at the end of that scene, she she's, you know, obviously traumatized with the loss of her father. And she just keeps saying, I love you. She reveals her love, which is probably not even real. She's just yeah. like in shock. But that whole scene leading up to it, I, I've forgotten what had happened. And I'm like, this is a scene like you do in acting class where you have a secret and you keep it in and you play the scene differently. <laughs> because I'm like, what is she doing? She, her, something's going on with her. Yeah. I think that's like, um, I'm going to just slide on over here. I think that's true of like, um, yeah, we're outside. If you hear creaks and stuff. Um, talk about the shining, <laughs> oh. the sun shining uh, on me. Uh, the, uh, yeah, like uh, that acting style, I feel like is like um, it's in a lot of like uh, Stanley Kubrick movies where it is like just a little beyond naturalism yeah. to the point of like I don't know. That's like one of the why I think when we watched The Shining, we were saying like that's one of the wildest things about the, his movies is like all the things is about like perfectionism and getting everything just so, but then the performances will be like not performances you're usually seeing in movies. They're just like dialed up a little bit in a stranger way. So it is kind of like, wow, you went through all that work to get this like crazy, un unreal beyond like, and sometimes like, I don't know. Maybe it's like Shakespeare where there's some actors who are better at it than others because yeah. I love like Alan Cumming. Oh, he's so good scene. in this. Like you can, so it almost good. feels like a Peter, old school, like Peter Sellers uh, scene or something. It feels like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like and this, you get to see a real performance kind of come alive. That's not clamped down by a filmmaker or something like. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting to see Tom Cruise in this because I think he's fighting right. that Kubrick thing. He said he's had a difficult time in this trying to do his naturalistic thing, but I find his naturalistic thing to be so much more false than Kubrick getting him to do kind of heighten. And, and for that reason, I feel like this is maybe my favorite Tom Cruise performance yeah. where he seems to be the most believable because he's always a good actor, but you can always feel him acting. Yeah. That scene where um, Sidney Pollack reveals he knows what he did the night before. Yeah. And Tom Cruise, the look on his face of like, he's trying to lie and act like he yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about. I think that's the best Tom Cruise acting moment I've ever seen. Yeah. Because he's hit yeah. and miss for me. Yeah, no. Same, like, I'm, I'm not like a total acolyte, like, a, or with Tom Cruise, but like, uh, I love the, uh, his performance in Eyes Wide Shut. I do wonder if it is like the, uh, what you're saying, like the, um, I feel like it's the one that caused like the most, uh, bullshit on his like charm and like cockiness yeah like, through every scene he's getting like cut off at the knees like it doesn't work it doesn't like work on his wife or the people he's around or like even like prostitutes like yeah. like when he says something to uh domino in their apartment he goes like uh uh i'm in your hands and she goes <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, she's yeah. like, okay, dork. Like, he's so, like, constantly, like, so maybe there's something gratifying about that, like, with 
Tom Cruise. Right before we started the mic, this is the same year that uh, Magnolia came out. And, uh, you know, I would say you could watch Eyes Wide Shut as like a flip side of The Shining. But yeah. if you watch two 1999 Tom Cruise performances, they're so in relationship to each other when he's like Frank T.J. Mackey and Magnolia. Because he's all about... Um, I mean, it's from the same wound, but he's like overcompensating for like how he doesn't get laid. Yeah. <laughs> he's like trying to get other guys to like feel good about not being laid. But I heard once that Paul Thomas Anderson was like, oh, when we shot Magnolia, you could tell he had been for two years or whatever playing this like impotent, hmm. like caged up sexless guy. And then when you see Magnolia, he's just like a panther, like walking around stage and stuff. So those two performances in the same year might be, you know, my favorite Tommy C's. So what do you, what's your conjecture? And this is pure speculation because there's so much floating around in the ether about Tom Cruise and his life, his sexuality, his Scientology. Um, How much of their relationship do you think they're bringing to the table? Because Kubrick also reportedly sat in on therapy sessions with them. (laughs) Was the therapist. Yeah. And like, how much are you seeing each of those two actors try to act or use what's really going on? Because we also don't know what's going on. So I don't want to like speculate too heavily, but. But you got to discuss how, because it was part of the promotional and everything about the movie is like, you're watching a real life married couple so it's sort of like and knowing that they end in defeat and basic animosity well somebody once pointed out you can watch their three movies as a trilogy like a three-act structure to their marriage which is Days of Thunder is about the falling for each other falling in love Uh and uh, Far and Away uh, Far and Away is about like domestic life like figuring out how to be married partners and how to do it. And then Eyes Wide Shut is like, we've been married eight years and uh, uh, this is like the final chapter. Um, But yeah, the uh, uh, Nicole Kim, and it's funny, like I think she's, uh, I mean, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kim are galaxies more talented than I. Same here. How should I even? Uh, how can I even speak to their talents? But I would say Nicole Kidman is a more talented actor than Tom Cruise, or can play more notes, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, in different ways. So, like sometimes when I'm watching those performances, I am thinking like she's kind of uh, outclassing him. And I remember a lot of the reviews around the time being like, "I wish there were more Nicole Kidman scenes," and. Neil Campbell recently saw it at the Metrograph a couple years ago in New York City, this like revival house, like a all the people our age love Eyes Wide Shut. It's really cool. They all like came out to watch it. And he was like, everybody was in love with Nicole Kidman. And that last scene when it or sex the last scene when it cuts to the close-up where she's like bloodshot after she's heard the news yeah. and you just like, oh, she's heard the craziest shit. It just got like a roar of laughter. <laughs> just like so uh to go back though to what you're saying, like I kind of wish it wasn't a real life married couple. I don't I think do the movie needs it. I frankly, I, I wish it were two people other than them. Though I think they're both very good in this. They to me are two people I cannot separate from themselves. Yeah, they're so yeah. like on paper. You know, we all know them as two of the most attractive people on earth. I find them both to be a little alien in their ways of moving, talking, acting, the way they look. I don't mean that as a judgment, just 
They're just who they are. And especially good looking back on this film, I think it was easier for me when I first saw it, especially for Nicole Kidman, because she just wasn't uh-huh. quite as established. Um, like, I, I, I know what you mean. Like, uh, uh, um, they're each kind of like distinct images. Yeah. And I mean, I know part of the movie is kind of this like, uh, so stupidly put, but just like, we all wear masks, we go to parties and we wear masks. Yeah. And like, I could see something of the idea of like, these are two people you've just, you only know them as like images. And there's going to be a power and sort of like, if we can get them to take off the mask in like these bedroom scenes, there'll be like a different electricity, maybe like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with like Elizabeth right. uh, Taylor and Richard Burton and stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't need it. Like, who would you... I know that they were cast, like, his name is Her- Harford because it's a short need of Harrison Ford. Yeah. Because they were like, it's a Harrison Ford part. At one point, I have a list here. So oh. Harrison Ford was was originally, like, this movie had a long life. And Harrison at, at, Ford would have been perfect. I, or I can't say it would have been perfect. I think that would have been really great. It would help, I think, to have someone slightly older. Because they're also, yep. it's like such an established doctor that's already working. He's only, like he's in a doctor for elite people. And you're, you're right. wondering how has he already achieved that clientele base and everything. And, yeah. Um, then at a point, this was going to be a comedy, and he was looking at Woody Allen and Steve Martin for that. Yes, one. I heard that. Yeah. Then at one point, it was Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger when they were married, apparently. Oh. And Johnny Depp was also considered. Some of this you can take or leave. It's internet research. You know. Johnny Depp and Winona. Oh, I, I have... don't know if Winona. It was just oh. Johnny Depp was all I read. I just like to think that anybody who was a couple, that's who he was going to cast. There was nobody who was not (laughs) currently having sex with each other that he wouldn't. Courtney Cox and David Arquette. (laughs) Roseanne and and Tom Arnold. uh, He calls up uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and he's like, guys, uh, because you're married, you can be the stars of my next movie. They're like, uh. uh, To the courthouse. You live in sin? (laughs) Goldie Kurt this whole time? Shame. Um, yeah, I guess if it was Harrison Ford and Ann Archer from Patriot Games, yeah. uh, played that. Or Bonnie Bedelia from Presumed Innocent. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, that wouldn't, um, I mean, think about how far out that is, though. If you, I mean, in 1999, the only trailer for Eyes Wide Shut was, like, seen them fully naked just kind of like guarded by mirrors and stuff and something like 40 seconds more footage than it was ever in the film for that really? shot yeah i think it was like 60 seconds of that or 120 seconds and then in the movie it's like 20 seconds interesting yeah uh but for the like biggest movie star couple in the world to like be bearing uh at all like that i guess you know kubrick's the only one just about the only one they could get. Yeah. I guess Nicole Kidman too agreed to do full frontal, but she had final say. So Kubrick could present her with what he wanted to use and she could yay or nay it. Oh, okay. And I think he never used full frontal. So she was okay with what he ended up. Yeah. um, How many versions of this film are there, by the way? Is there just one? uh, I think two. There's the one with the digital... Which I ended up seeing. Oh, okay. Uh, Did you watch it on HBO Max? Yeah. Yeah, because this is what's cool about HBO. They only show the theatrical. 
Of anything? Of anything. Oh, so that's like why you got to watch like Gremlins 2 and they showed the like real theatrical ending with, or interruption with uh, Hulk Hogan, not the VHS interruption that they like manufactured when it came out on videotape. Oh. So I had my friend like tape it off his satellite, Gremlins 2, so I could get that Hulk Hogan. Wow. Film, it's so good. <laughs> the film breaks and I remember it was like the best. I'm not going to settle for this. Like, <laughs> They're in a John Wayne movie on VHS. Bullshit. Uh, <laughs> um, so there's that. There's something else that I know, like when it airs on HBO, you're like, oh, I'm getting something that's really hard to see just by virtue that they're airing the theatrical. But oh. yes, because the Eyes Wide Shut, it has the, that's what I saw in theaters on opening weekend. There's was, a lot I did not remember in this movie. I, I, thought I remembered it ending on the mask on the pillow and him just seeing it and cut to black and forgot all about the toy store scene. And then the famous last line too. I didn't even remember. Oh, you for, yeah. You forgot about the denouement <laughs> at, at the very end there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the, I guess the, the peak of the action is the, him seeing the pillow on the, or the mask on the pillow. And then after that is the denouement. After the tablooks of the, <laughs> the sex party scene. Yeah. Yes. Corrupt. Corrupt. <laughs> well, do you want to start moving through this guy? Yeah. With eyes wide open. Do you know what my first note is? What? I can't believe these people just have a wall unit AC. <gasps> oh, in, in, uh, in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, just you'd think they'd have some kind of central air, but I guess that's old New York apartment buildings. But Man. this was all a set, right? Yeah, and the clutter, the late 90s clutter is so yeah. spot on. Like the TV. I mean, I got to say, I'm like, so, Magnolia included, so happy that these beautiful looking movies in the late 90s, a lot of them are contemporary. Yeah. So, the late 90s is captured so gorgeously in Eyes Wide Shut. Right. Like, I love it. It's like, yeah. you just see like VHS, a pile of VHS tapes next to Nicole Kidman when she's giving her monologue between there's like VHS tapes on one side and then like CDs yeah. like a pile of CDs and you know that's Kubrick in the kitchen too there's like plugs just jutting out of the wall yeah appliance oh, like, plugs and- I didn't notice those yeah you like um I guess he uh would have people go to America and take photographs of insides of people's house just to see how clutter builds up and I think that all that stuff is feels very real when I watch it. Yeah. Uh, and what most people probably know this, but he didn't want to go to America to shoot. So they recreated the New York streets on the Pinewood back lot, shot some B footage there. And then he even did some rear projection of the driving and crews walking down the street. That crews walking down the street thing. Once you see it and know it, it seems so glaring. I did not know it. And I saw it and I'm like, that looks like rear projection. But then I started to believe it. Cause I was like, no, they've got him. They must've, taken him to new york or something yeah there's some behind the scenes footage where you see him like on a treadmill yeah and uh like that footage running uh behind him there's one i i got this uh i wish i remember the authors it came out last year an eyes wide shut book and there's two good tidbits that i learned there sometimes you just read a whole book just to get two sure it's worth it and uh one is coming up right with the first shot but i'll tell uh when you were saying the locations it's all yeah uh, on a set uh backstage right and the first time that bald-headed dr loomis looking guy (laughs) shows up 
that was filmed on real life sets that they went and got Tom Cruise down with a crew at the very end because there was some slight concern that the sets were getting used too much and and now when Wait, I that watched, was in New York or uh no somewhere in London okay but like you they did change the numbers on the buildings and signage and stuff. So if you're a hardcore Kubrick conspiracy person, oh no, you go. He chose those numbers for a reason. There had to be a reason oh, he no. chose those numbers, so you can get oh, into no. that if you want to. Is but, there any theory? Um, I remember. Oh my god! Well, I'll just tell you. There's two like websites that I've just like gone that are like not just scene by scene, but like shot by shot breakdown. I'll like bet. I'll bet border. Here's the way I feel about those things. Most of them are kooky, but what they're really doing is just pointing something out. That is odd. And their conclusions might be whack, but a lot of times they're just pointing out something. I'm like, oh, I never noticed that. I didn't know that was the painting, the name of the painting and stuff. But, um, oh, oh, oh. So when he's walking down those streets, those are like real life. And I can see why, because if that bald-headed guy just showed up on a set there... I think psychologically your eye would kind of, or something would be like, yeah, I think not you seen already as dangerous. Because they did use it a lot. And plus, it's got that like dead end at both ends of the street sort of thing you don't feel a lot of in New York, you know? And yeah. 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 And you see the like behind the scenes footage, like some up, you know, you can see how they used it. And it's not, it's just kind of like four intersections. Yeah. Um, I think by the time that they show up at the very end with the bald-headed guy, there's no other extras. I checked the street intersection. It's not a street intersection that exists in New York at all, not uh, even any of the boroughs. Huh. Uh, like, I think uh, like uh, that's totally like dream time or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the air conditioning unit, Corley, you are speaking my truth right now. I just got back. I visited New York. Uh in 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 uh, uh over Thanksgiving break, in a lot of apartments, the heat for every room is set by one person, the landlord, Ooh. and every single unit in that apartment building is under the hot thumb of oh that landlord. God. So the way you make up for it is cranking the AC and opening up windows. Now, we had to, that was an Airbnb that we did not like. Um, my wife's friends moved out of town or they went on vacation. So the last three days we were there, we got to bop over and they graciously let us stay at their place while they were gone. They had um, in, uh, 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 the, what's that you just said it uh, the air conditioning that's under your control central air central air yeah they had central air central air and heat um but they're uh uh not but or and uh they're wealthy uh-huh. like and throughout this whole movie there's like so many times where tom cruise gets put in his place about what class he's in yeah like you drove up in a taxi. Everybody jo- right. drove up in limos, yeah. you dork. Like this, like, and yet he's well off. He's just not one. Exactly. That's like what's yeah. so. I don't know. It's like crazy about the or what I love about the movie. It's like he's scratching at something constantly. When it's like you are happy. Why? Are I know. Like, You've what got are you your doing? wife, your kid. You're so well off. Yeah. And it's only because I think he's just 
or who's to say it's like a mystery, but it's because you're just, it's whatever. Not but, It's uh, why at the very end in the toy store, the daughter's like wants to, to go to the cradle and wants a Barbie doll. Mm. You just can't fight this. Like I always want, to attain yeah. something else, even when, I don't know. This uh, time, though, watching it, I felt he was propelled more by the just vicious reveal of his wife, of this, like... Yeah. Like, I um, I felt uncalled for ruthlessness, because we don't know anything about the relationship prior to that. Yeah. If she has reason for being so ruthless to him, but we haven't really seen it, Yeah, she's just saying such mean, hurtful things that it... This time it felt to me like he was out to assuage his pain rather than just have an affair. Almost like he did almost like he was doing it for that reason, which yeah. worked a lot better for me for some reason. I, I agree. I think that's to me what I think is probably the main like Okay, yeah. I mean I'm not uncovering anything. No, 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 no. But, I'm saying it because like I didn't say that. Like that is like it's funny when I uh, I you know, I mentioned how I watched a bunch of to my therapist, the point I brought it up was like, oh, the thing I hadn't noticed when I watched this movie, it's really funny that she just shares a internal fantasy. Yeah. But in his like brain, that like justifies having sex with a prostitute. I know. It's uh and so I was bringing it up, uh, not because I've ever <laughs> had a problem with my wife and gone and visited a prostitute, more just like, it's a, what my therapist brought up, she was just saying, it's a real, demo, that movie really demonstrates in that moment how much of a, what you're saying, how much of a wound um, jealousy is. Yeah. And like, what a terrible feeling that is that people want to get rid of so quickly that like it is funny that like she shares in it's kind of the perfect scenario because she unkindly shares something honest that you don't really have to share and so the whole time he's going through this like journey you're not you are like i i felt like it you're racked with sort of like but she didn't like tell you she sucked a guy's dick. She didn't tell I you she know. went to a sex club and got like fucked by a stranger. But this time, I, I, sympathetic is not the right word. But the, what I was feeling empathy for oh. with Tom Cruise oh, was that she said to him, "It was a coin toss that I would stay or leave you." Yeah, and so that to me was like Tom Cruise going, "She could now leave at any point from here on," mm -hmm. and he almost like this is not to justify it was like preemptively or out of self-protection going like, I need to distance myself from her and go out and have an affair and devalue this relationship or else it's going to kill me mm -hmm. or something. Wow, it yeah, was, yeah. It, I've just never, I think that was the first, the first time, few times I saw this, I, it never resonated below a surface level to me. I liked it, but this is the first time where I felt like I, without trying too hard was just like getting the subtext of it. You know, yeah. Well, I uh, I hear you, man. Like when she's like saying, "I would have fifty fifty would have left." Like uh, since you and I have gotten married and had kids, like it hits different now when she says, "I would have left Helena oh, yeah. and you." I would oh. have uh, fucked up my whole life if if that guy had given me the opportunity. I would have followed because it does. Uh, I mean, I really uh, love that bedroom scene. Uh, I hear you about the acting being a little, <laughs> but yeah. like, uh, 
something that I think is kind of uh, beautiful about it, Matt, is that <laughs> Stanley Kubrick, he's made a bunch of movies over a few decades, and they've gone from to outer space, <laughs> they've gone to the future, uh, they've gone into the... Uh, the horrors of war or a haunted house, ghosts. Like, but the thing at the very end that he's like, the biggest mystery of them all yeah. is when two people are in an intimate relationship with each other and they're not fully talking about, not just like desire, but just like thoughts and feelings. Like there's just some things you feel like you can or don't share and like I love that that this movie just like just sticks a finger into people's eyes so much yeah. of like what if a wife said like I'm if given the opportunity I would fuck up our lives is like that is more profound than like what are some monkeys doing with a monolith because it's shit. so right in front of you you're boy you're absolutely right with like, those close-ups too right in front I know. of you yeah you are 100% right, my fine film-loving friend. <laughs> they, it does hit different, though, as we're getting older. For like sure. Like, when I was a, saw that when I was a young man, I, I was kind of like, oh, she's high. Yeah. <laughs> he feels bad about it. <laughs> and without getting too personal, I've been having dreams, maybe even nightmares, of my family unit falling apart. And I, I it must have something to do subconsciously with the arrival of baby and my you know, Amanda was already everything to me, but now there's a baby and there's just so much to lose now Yeah, that, and I, I, you, yeah. I'm in a period of, of lulled anxiety. And so I find that's when the anxiety comes out in my dreams. And so wow, it's just True. this yeah. movie. Yeah. It hit in a way of like this, this is the opposite of what my life is right now, but anything like this is possible at any time. <laughs> it's so scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, to speak to that, I heard, do you ever see that, movie The Vanishing where it's about a guy and his girlfriend maybe wife they stop at a rest stop he goes in the bathroom he comes back out she's not there she's oh, been taken wow. and then it's him trying to, to get her Yeah. but Stanley Kubrick called up the director of that after he saw it and he said you've made the scariest movie I've ever seen it is the great fear in life which is like you could lose somebody so easily. Yeah. Um, and so when I, those last scenes kind of like where, uh, they feel very vulnerable at the end. Like when Tom Cruise is saying like forever, she's like, don't say forever. It's just like yeah. too much. She like, still won't give it to him. And you can uh, yeah. see he's like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I get it for maybe, a a woman or a wife forever just feels different because it's kind of like, well, I always have you in my grasp kind of thing as opposed to like, I'm saved forever. Like, I forever want to love you. Like, yeah. maybe it's in there, but yeah. the way he was saying it just felt a little too... Well, it's like a sign this contract as opposed to I want to devote myself to you unconditionally. Right. Yeah. Um, this is such um armchair biography that probably shouldn't be shared about like Stanley Kubrick, but you are sitting in an armchair. Yeah. I, there's two of them Yeah, um, that I can rest my arms upon. <laughs> okay. So when Stanley Kubrick uh, died, um, by this point, um, his daughter, um, uh, had left who, who filmed the documentary. Yeah. Um, and filmed a documentary 
full metal jacket with hours of footage that has mm-hmm. never been released. Ooh. But did music also for um, uh, Full Return Metal. of the Jedi, Lopty Neck. Yeah, she backed up on Lopty Neck. <laughs> so when she showed up at the funeral, she had already left the family where they all lived and moved to Los Angeles because she had joined the Church of Scientology. <gasps> Whoa. Kubrick's I did not wife says that is not um, Tom Cruise related at all. Like people think that, but they were two separate things. She left to go to Los Angeles. And when he died, she showed up with like a Scientologist, his daughter with a Scientologist handler and just kind of stayed away from everybody. And by that point it was like, oh, she's fully disconnected from our family. She's only showing up to be here at the funeral. She's still alive. I think she might have... Uh, mental health um, concern like I feel a little conflicted like sharing this but it does kind of add to this like the vanishing is about what if your loved one was taken from you you couldn't get him back and this movie ends with him being like forever she's like no 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 easy on the forever shit and the last time you see the daughter is in the toy aisle and she's standing, conspiracy theorist, if you want to she's standing with two guys who are two extras from the opening Ziggler party scene. People have identified them as like, now it's probably because yeah. it's the same extra service, right. but if you want to speculate, yeah. no fun way. But the very end of Stanley Kubrick's life was him writing letters to his daughter, Ooh. trying to get her to come back to London to live with them. Oh my God. She had lived there, his three daughters, his wife, they all lived in one house together under one roof. I get it. Like if that was my life and I thought I was providing everything for my three daughters and family and you can't unconvince a child to join Scientology and go to move to Los Angeles. It would, it's like, it is like the equivalent of the vanishing. You're just like, fuck, I can't, I've lost it. I've lost my power. Things aren't forever. Um, I'm not going to say like, that means he didn't. His heart was so broken, he died. Right, but uh, uh, but yeah, wild. So you figure Tom Cruise must have connected with his daughter at some point, even after that, even if it was unrelated. Like he at must some have known gala gala ball or yeah, something, and cemented it or whatever. Ooh. Yeah, I that's heavy. Weirdly, I think she's moved to Texas, but I did drive up to where her house lived and it's it's up the street for the church of scientology and how'd you find her address uh, uh where was it listed somehow i mean i'm a kook it's weird oh you're in scientology that. yes yeah i looked through the guy the, uh, the client book <laughs> the scientology white pages yeah and uh but it was across the street from a place that my wife and i had looked at about possible interest in the house I was like, oh my God, one of the Kubrick daughters could have been my neighbor. We blew it. <gasps> Wait, you were going to move to Texas? No, no, no. In the Los Angeles oh, home. Like I when see. I drove oh, up there, I was gotcha. like, I remember okay. this neighborhood. We were oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating, man. <laughs> anyway, we haven't even, uh, I know you were, you said first shot and now we're. No, we got, that's all right. We got we tri- t- you mentioned the air conditioner. We got tripped up. <laughs> that's important stuff. Should we take a pee break? <laughs> sure. A, th- a thighs wide shut? Uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, now yours rhymes, so let's just go with that because it's better. But wow. what's the little? What's your P tube called? Urethra. Yeah, urethra wide open. <laughs> oh, gross! <laughs> Thighs wide shut. Either way. Okay, we'll be right back. With
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With Polly and Rust. Ooh, we're back. Oh, mid-Mr. Bean routine here. This chair folding up on me. Resituating. Paging Dr. Rowan Atkinson. Uh, Paging Dr. Bean. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, um, that first... Oh, oh, the other detail I was going to say is in that first shot uh, when the, Nicole Kidman drops her dress. This thing I learned in the book uh, that I read in, in lockdown uh, that shot was not in the original cut shown by Stanley Kubrick to Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman and Terry Semmel, the head of mm. Warner Brothers four days before he died that shot was added after he died by who? by uh, uh, Leon Vitale uh, his right hand man whoa why do you think i don't know it, it couldn't nail it down it just the book just said that it was it doesn't say why um i have to imagine it was in the notes oh maybe yeah. that and he was like oh he meant to do this this was always meant to be done and maybe right. it was a way to uh I don't know. I don't think it matters, but like yeah. that they watch a screening where the first thing is nudity. Right. I don't think it has anything. To, I just don't know why. I interesting. Know why. Very interesting. But when I heard that, particularly because there's so much online speculation about and just curiosity about that's the same space. She's in the same corner of their apartment where Tom Cruise appears after the title goes away. So you see her, goes to black, it comes back. He's in the exact same spot, but it's all different stuff. So people were always like, why is that? So that mm -hmm. means that could have been any night. Yeah. She was taking off a dress, which is usually at the end of a night. Right. It seems so, like people try to get their mind around why that's the opening shot and why it's so similar to his thing. And it's like, oh, well, that was added after he died. So who knows? Do you, which 
Kubrick film do you think is the most interesting behind the scenes story? I mean, this one's up there. I'd put it more so than the movie itself, like this and The Shining. Yeah, with this, that the fact that they're a real life married couple, and it was so many. It's like a Guinness Book of World Records, right? Yeah, for how many days it shot? Yeah, yeah. But then two thousand one would be cool because you just see like all these giant kind of secret contraptions, yeah. like making cool effects. I don't know. What about for you? Yeah, Shining. Well, this up one there. is definitely the most like titillating. Yeah, like I want to know the interpersonal goings on. I wish there was a book someday that Nicole Kidman would write that would tell all about yes. her life with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise to me, maybe he is perfect casting because to me he is this secret sex party because there's so much rumor and innuendo about him, but there also has got to be something extra going on there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, certainly, yeah, there, there was always rumors about his, uh, that he was, gay yeah and there's a scene in here where people taunt him for being gay and also there's a feeling of homoeroticism between he and nick nightingale to me oh yeah Yeah. i love that all that like bro slapping and hugging that they're doing it's i mean i feel like stanley Kubrick gets like that's funny that these two guys this is how they fucking they're like just apes they could just keep hitting each other and stuff but yeah it definitely has like a Hey, I wish we were doing a standing 69 with each other, brother. I know. I mean, but I'm not gay because you could tell how like hard I'm smacking you on the chest. And... <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, but as far as like Tom Cruise, you know, he's always like struck me more as is like, not, and truly, if this was the case, there's nothing wrong with it. Not uh, homosexual, just asexual yeah i could see that and growing up in elementary school junior high the girls in my class they never and to this day women it's not like he's so sexy right it's like he's attractive and he's i kind of feel that way about nicole kidman like she looks more like a, a marble statue to me than a a like um passionate human being I don't feel like passion. I feel classical beauty from both of them, but I feel in, there's an emptiness to them. Yeah, that I I I can imagine I would understand considering what their lives are. Like, th- there's no way we could imagine what these two people go through and what has shaped them to be the way they are, if they even are that way. But the end result ends up being something that I don't think they understand. They're projecting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I like. Yeah, like, uh, you're just making me think, like, that scene where she's, like, crying to him. I was like, is that actually the most open and sincere Nicole Kidman and Tom yeah. Cruise ever got was uh, right. in this scene? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine they're, like, real life. I mean, I'm sure they had them. Yeah. Probably their most, their odd film scene that I most could imagine is in Days of Thunder when he's using, like, a sugar packet <laughs> to go up her leg to show the turds that a car can make. Because he's just playing with Hot Wheels. <laughs> yes, he's yeah. playing with toys in a in a bed with a naked woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also that this would come at the end. I hear what you're saying, like, a... Um, end of a run of movies that like starting with like fatal attraction and basic instinct it's like they're horned up erotic thriller movies i think that's also what people were maybe expecting with this and so then when it is kind of two people who don't necessarily scream 
you know, it's not like a, it's not like it started Antonio Banderas and Melanie Griffith. I know. But do you think <laughs> Kubrick knew that? Or do you think he, because this was also early, like there wasn't a ton of rumors about Cruz then. If anything, it was just maybe that he was gay. It wasn't this like a whole like jump on Oprah's couch thing. Scientology wasn't a <laughs> huge deal back then. I, I, it just wasn't a, as big a scandal back then. Yeah. So how much do you think Kubrick is playing on that or doesn't know about it? Or thinks Yeah, sometimes that, I yeah. think with the casting of them, it is like... Because he went to Steve Martin also, who was like a big star at that yeah. point. Like it was right after The Jerk. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this at all. But I think like, because uh, he did it so well. But, you know, he was involved, Stanley Kubrick, with like how the posters were made mm-hmm. and the how the trailers were cut. I think, and he produced all of his own stuff. I think he was just a guy who knew like a movie needs a hook, needs marketing and yeah hey i'm gonna have the two the the biggest movie married couple right now on screen doing intimate scenes that's gonna right get butts and seats in some ways yeah or it's gonna make it different than seeing michael douglas grind on sharon stone or something yeah that's right um so maybe that was the thing he most like could see. But I, I mean, I remember when I saw that scene where he was getting taunted by like the Yaley prep school guys, uh, when the like homophobic guys, I remember thinking like, Oh, that is interesting that that scene is in there since that's what I'm constantly hearing the rumors about Tom Cruise about. Well, but it's also weird because what about that Tom Cruise at that moment? Like, there's nothing gay about him walking down the street in a black trench coat. That's why I think it's all, like, if you... I hate when people are like, Ferris Bueller doesn't really exist. It's all in Cameron's mind. I don't like those interpretations, but, like, I think this movie is supposed to have, like, some sort of dream logic. So it's so funny that, like, after he chickens out with the prostitute, he walks out and he sees a married... a, a couple, like, making out outside, like... A flower shop. Yeah. And he's like grabbing her butt. This is all just like hyped up right. subconscious stuff. And then he turns the corner where there's a group of guys who are like, you're a pussy. Like, yeah. you you couldn't get laid there? And, and you just saw these people having sex? Like, look at what a loser you are. From what he just left with his wife. And when I say that he didn't look at I meant like overtly gay for the time. Like, there's nothing that those guys at that time would pick up on. Right. You yeah, know? no, that's like... Uh, maybe they thought he looked like Tom Cruise and they heard all those rumors. <laughs> those guys were ridiculous. Just the, the portrayal too. They're just yeah, all the a bunch of Michael of Rappaport's. <laughs> Sorry, what did They're you all that? just a bunch of Michael Rappaport's. <laughs> <laughs> what is a, you know, like there's a murder of crows. What's a group of Rappaport's called? <laughs> a rapport of Rappaport's. <laughs> you got a rapport of Rappaport's <laughs> coming down the street. Um, so... Are we to the party? Is there more? Um, the Ziegler yeah. Gala? The Ziegler, the annual Ziegler Gala. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, um, By the way, this movie is such a change from the first three films we covered for this little mini season. It could be crazy. more different. It was so refreshing. Uh, oh, you know what's cool too? The um, the the uh, 
book it's based on? I don't know how to pronounce it. Tromnovel. Tromnovel. Dream dream story or dream book. Yeah, that's um was written at the end of the turn of the century, 19th century into 20th century. And uh, like I said earlier that I'm just so thankful that a movie in the 90s, which I think more and more, like the 70s, it, things even looking old look beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes in the 80s, you, they're old, but they're kind of like, you laugh at them. Yeah. But some stuff, I think like there's a timelessness. This one especially. Yeah. This movie does not seem dated. Not at all. I never all. even thought about that. No. And the reviews, I remember initially saying like, oh, they have kind of dated, outmoded views of men and women. I was like... This stuff is old as the fucking hills and, and will be old point. as the hills forever. But that's yeah. the point, right? I yeah. Mean, that's the, what this whole thing is about. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, well, I will stand the test of time. But the, uh, uh, um, oh, that novel is like turn of the century. And if you do kind of like view this as like, a, oh, this is where the world was sort of like turn of the century, pre 9-11. I know it's not like he's got, a secret decoder ring or something. But, I, you know, he does seem to have, like, Kubrick some can see the future a little bit. That all this, like, one of the main things people talk about all the time now is, like, one percenter sex, Jeffrey Epstein's yeah. sex parties in New York. I don't think, like, Stanley Kubrick knew about them. Yeah. Although the writer of the article, the byline, for when the, uh, beauty queen overdoses later yeah, in the movie. It's like the production designer or someone who is it? Well, the writer of the article is the um, a person who they just had as research and like who would go who was a tabloid yeah, writer right. in New York, whose byline wrote the Jeffrey Epstein death. Oh my god! Like that's how involved this guy. That's how far this goes up, man. man. Wake up, man! <laughs> Eyes some... wide open, man. Yeah, um, microwave all. Uh, some tinfoil and let's get going. <laughs> um, I just like the the turn of the century stuff. Yeah, it's really a fun time to look at things. But okay, so um, uh, oh, um, the very first line is him. Have you seen my wallet? And she goes, "Isn't it on the bedside table?" And uh, wallets, like in dreams, logic is like a penis. Oh, and the fact that he's like, honey, I misplaced (laughs) my penis. And she's like, it's by the bed. In the penis drawer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But also like he's constantly using that wallet as a way to get in places, to pull out cash, to pull out his And it diminishes throughout the movie. It like withers and it loses its its potency, its money. And he's still, and he's lost place of it at the beginning. He's still like- He rips it it in half. (laughs) He rips cash in half. Uh, Trying to impress this cab driver. Um, Yeah. So yeah, now they're at that party. Um, Yeah. what do you think? I would love to be at this cozy Christmas party. Huh? I just love this whole party sequence. First of all, the lighting. So you've got all the warm lighting of the Best. Christmas lights and the soft focus, but there's such a contrast with the like light royal blue. It's outside the windows of their apartment. Yeah. I noticed later on too that there's just a lot of the pops of that blue. Lily Sobieski's got that kind of blue. The daughter's right. wearing blue at one point. The refrigerator magnets are popping out and there's virtually no other color in these scenes yeah. other than like when they're walking through in the paintings in their house. Really and when that model gets pulled, you're making me think of when that she gets pulled away into the darkness after she sacrifices yes. her life, she goes into like a weird blue. I don't light. know what it means. I let I leave that yeah. to the yeah. Kubrick yeah. conspiracyists. Yeah, but it was fascinating. But that, that party, 
oh, I just, it felt so shining to me. The people, yes. the music. Yeah, that old-timey ballroom. I think, yeah, when I first saw it, thinking like, this feels like the shiny. This is like weird. The people kind of dancing. And uh, I, as far as like opening, you know, we've talked before, like, oh, sometimes watching a movie, like if the opening scene's really great, like I love this first like 20 minutes so oh, much. It's just like getting to be at a, yeah, a cozy party with some sort of like malice underneath. Oh, there's sinister vibes. And, yeah. and this Hungarian guy with, Kubrick just loves definition of brows, like the lighting on brows. He's got these heavy eyebrows. Yeah. And we talked about in The Shining how Nicholson's brow is so heavy and the, the bartender has got right. no brow and it just, the white light from below washes his face and it makes, I mean, um, Nicholson looks so sinister and this guy's got this brow. The masks have these, he just likes like, cavernous faces that yeah, hide in lights hit accent light the, yeah on somebody's dome oh and this guy is just so that hungarian guy's great and i i've noticed that uh sometimes i, I oh do you do 60 takes for this moment because you saw it and it works and now you got it or you were hoping it was going to happen and now it finally happened when he sips her champagne flute all the way to the bottom uh as he puts it down uh, a background extra puffs out a plume of smoke so it seems like this guy is so hot yeah there is smoke coming off him <laughs> <laughs> and he's so sinister and just awful yeah you know? yeah, but, yeah 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 now this is what's interesting to talk about this movie because it's now 20 years old 22 years old yeah. how much of that back then was like look at this suave character I mean, he he yeah. had a malice to him. You're right, and that was there yeah. when I first saw it too. But now it's really like, yeah, you really see and the fact that he doesn't like reoccur. Most characters in this movie, the main ones, get like two scenes kind of a lot of times, where you mm. come back around to yeah. them. And this right. guy is so mysterious; he only gets the oney. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, and it is funny how like. Uh, there's two shots I think, or one shot that I think a lot of is when Nicole Kidman is walking away and she grabs the champagne and drinks it mm -hmm. as she's walking. Yeah. There's times where at a party, I'm like, I wish I could do that. That'd be really <laughs> fun to kind of have my own private moment where, I know. um, but, uh, the, um, Oh, and then, yeah, when he's going off with those, uh, two models who seem like, um, honey traps or something. Yeah. No kidding. That's also malicious. Like, he's got something sinister, and it could just be the, that it's sinister that an affair could take place here, or or that, that'd be unbecoming of this. But there is something sinister there, because this is Ziegler's party, and he is involved in this world, and you have no idea how many people there without masks on are at these masked parties, and who isn't yes, deliberately. Right. Also, what's fascinating is, the of the two girls he's with, the one that speaks with an English accent... Nicole Kidman, Domino, Mandy, they all look alike. Nicole Kidman a little less because she's got curly hair, but yeah. strawberry blonde, straight hair. And Domino's roommate, too, is yes. like a doppelganger. What is going on there? Well, you have to think that's on. Yeah, purpose. well, the Nick Nightingale 
Tom Cruise stuff, I think, is all doppelganger stuff. Is like, uh, and then he has another doppelganger with um. Oh, the boyfriend, G- Greg Claude, from Darman Gray. Yeah, Carl. 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 Yeah, the math professor. Yeah. Uh, Boy, that's true. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it on the Kidman tip though. There are a lot of Kidman doppelgangers throughout this movie, which adds to the like dream thing, which is yeah. like, oh, there's just like kind of figures in his brain that are like standing for his wife and stuff. But the um uh. The oh, when that another sinister thing is when he's talking to Nick and uh, after they hit each other a few more times, the <laughs> the guy who comes over and says, "Nick, uh, we need you." He kind of says it in like a prickish, yeah. s- scary way. In that book, I, in that book I read last year, uh, <laughs> he, wow, Paul, you really love that book. He um, that guy is played by like. Um, a guy from the Church of Scientology who who's like got a part was on set was sort of a handler for somebody and like they gave him a part so it is funny like see the Kubrick guy's like we need a sinister yeah. asshole to walk over and yeah. tell somebody to be where they need to be because uh-huh. uh, that seems like if you replay the movie you you think it's maybe like you shouldn't be talking to this person like you're gonna get in trouble Nick for stepping out of bounds or well what something. do you think happened did he go need to do were they trying to keep him away from him I mean why would they have that worry yet yeah cause right cause if that guy presumably knows this is the guy who's also gonna play piano later for the sex party yeah maybe why it works all that stuff is because it's like logic and dream logic that like it's logical that the Zigglers kind of do this, like, I mean, he's having sex with a prostitute, but in the bathroom, like, it makes logical sense that they kind of do this, like, hey, we're going to have a outside sort of Christmas party for the elite. We'll go dark. And then a couple hours later, we'll meet in another place and have like this weird orgy. Yeah. Um, but it also makes sense if you want to think about it as a dream that it entirely would be like Tom Cruise went to this weird party and then he went and had like kind of the unconscious version of that party later. So like he went home and fell asleep after the party and the rest is a dream. I think if you want to choose a moment where you go, and I hate these sorts of interpretations. Yeah, but, but it's fun. Yeah. I think it's when the phone call comes that he has to leave to the call. So you think Nicole Kidman, that's not part of the dream, the reveal? I think her telling him... Uh, ooh, maybe her lighting the joint is like really just him going off to sleep. Like that didn't really happen. But I did think it's like, he's having this waking life information that she told him. Uh, Maybe I believe that's waking because that's, well, in a dream, you can have somebody other than you share a desire. That is their thought. But it just seems like his dream is now taking, kind of what you said, like, that wound has been opened up by this information. And the reason I thought it was a dream is after she tells him that, it's the first time that you you start getting those like weird hallucinogenic thoughts of his fantasies of what they are. And they're like dissolves as he's driving yeah. in a car in a darkened taxi while like the night sort of begins. It just seems like I know it doesn't entirely make sense that when he goes to a medical call, like what a boring dream. But I mean 
That's what dreams it are. works as a comedy, but also works as like a funny dream, which is like this guy can't get laid. <laughs> he goes into situations and he either wants it, but gets called away by a phone call. It's entirely like yeah, a dream when you exactly. want, you're having a sex dream. You never have it. It's just such a funny like I, I, joke It's funny this movie. comes up because last night I had an anxiety dream and I woke up this morning going, how much of that dream was written as it started or unfolded organically yeah. because I just had this classic anxiety dream where I was doing a play and I was about to go on and I realized I wasn't in costume and I had to run to the back of the auditorium and upstairs, grab my costume, get changed and I had, didn't have the time to do it. And my feet stuck on the ground and I couldn't. Whoa. But there was like what seemed like 10 minutes prior where I'm waiting in the wings talking to the other actors before I go on. So did that dream start and the whatever like subconscious dream author is like, I'm going to give him 10 minutes of setup before I do the turn and give him the anxiety. Yeah. Or did that unfold? More likely, I think dreams aren't linear. I think you actually, isn't there some science where you just, they're written, that you have them, they're all. Oh, when it's they, just they about you're really already unfold. following the circuit that's been laid, laid yeah, out Yeah, like you? I don't think it unfolds Whoa. in time. This is, I could be wrong. Awesome. I mean, there's theories about the universe that are that way, that yeah. time is an illusion to humans, that there's there's not an A and a Z, you know. Like so why wouldn't happening. it be the case when we're asleep and got the most crazy yeah, things bouncing I'm, around in I don't know head. where I'm heading with this, but, you That know. is really cool. Like the, yeah, the, the dream you had, like just the, um, oh, you don't have your costume, like in this, movie he's gonna have the ultimate anxiety dream of that guy is selling like disrobe in front of this yeah, group of people right. um we all get to keep masks on so you don't know yeah. who we are so for the rest of your life you could be like did that guy see my balls yeah um <laughs> and then uh when she wakes up she was like you and me were out walking naked and i felt ashamed like that is like the universal dream for everybody. It's like, I can't get the clothes on my, I mean, it's a cliche. It's like the joke of sitcoms is. Yeah. If his was a dream, there should be like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern version of her night of her dream where he's the supporting character. I thought sometimes like, it is weird how her dream kind of seems when she's sharing it kind of intermingles with his dream, which almost is like what happens when you're in a long-term relationship. Sometimes you do have like the yeah. same dreams. Yeah. I think that I thought was like kind of the version of this was um, in college we would do a, it was called No Shame Theater. Friday nights people would introduce a scene or a sketch or a song or something. And then the next week you'd meet up again. And a lot of times two people, three people would kind of have similar right. ideas. And it wasn't even an idea you could trace back to the previous week. It was, it laid some sort of germ in their head yeah. that then like expanded out. So, uh, so for some reason she, because that party she went to, she's having dreams about <laughs> Well, this is that of ambiguity of Kubrick that is not handed to you and it's not concrete, but it's something. Yeah, that yeah, the ambiguity. Let me. What do you think about that? I love the billiard scene so much, and I could watch it again and again and again. But you know how like Stanley Kubrick was famously like he cut like twenty minutes out of uh, the two thousand one after its premiere, the weekend after the Shining premiered, he cut out like the last scene. 
even though I love it and I don't think there's anything wrong with it that it would need this, I remember sitting in the theater. I'm just bringing this in, up in terms of ambiguity. When when the movie opened, thinking like, wow, a lot is getting explained here that I... Yeah. I'm shocked this much is getting me too. explained. Me too. And as I continue to watch it, I still think that. And I go would have this gotten cut out? Like, would things been left? Or is the effect supposed to be, like, I'm laying out all the cards on the table, so anything that exists now that's mysterious is even kind of more mysterious because you did get it explained so much. Like, I don't I think know if that's the trick a little bit. I think it's great because you now are have to choose whether you believe Sidney Pollock or not, and you're left Ooh, that's good. wondering, was it staged? I leave it thinking it wasn't, that the threat was real. It feels that way yeah. to me. And that Sidney Pollock's character is just trying to brush it off. Or going like, I'm telling you a lie that's going to be helpful to you if you just believe yeah, this. Yeah, basically, because yeah. he does, at one point he goes, what if I told you yeah. this was just staged? Like, <laughs> basically saying like, would you be able to walk away and forget this? Because then we can all agree that happened. Yeah, and you wouldn't feel guilty or about what happened. So you think it happened, the threat was real? That the threat from? The, the secret society. Oh, like, uh, did that girl die? Was she killed? Let's speculate on some of these things. So was yeah. Mandy killed, do you think? I don't think so. You don't? No. I do. I don't know. I, I shouldn't believe Sidney Pollock's story about him saying like... But did you read she, in the article there's her, two men with her? Uh, when they... When they like there's the, the, They're still looking for the two men that were found with her or whatever, or something like that. Say like say, presumably the same two men that were with Nick checking him out of the oh, hotel. Right. Yeah. What do you think is Nick alive? You're just blowing my mind because all my answers are like, <laughs> well, Ziggler said, and the fact that you're like, well, you don't no, have to believe he's everything. An unreliable narrator. I think now this is there's no answer for these things. So you, the beauty of it is, yeah, you should take away what you took away. I'm just saying I took away that he's lying. I think Mandy was killed. Nick, I think, could still be alive, but was just beat to a, within yeah. an inch of his life. And and they successfully scared him. Yeah, and I think he has to live. Otherwise, then it gets too messy for them. Yeah. Like uh, Nick's wife, Dr. Uh, Mrs. Nick, then she starts asking questions about what happened. Although so. we know that Nick tried to pass off a letter to Alan Cumming, which was presumably was a help me. And right. they intercepted it, so they would know that he yeah. is a threat, so he may be dead. That's true. And who knows, maybe those two guys at the very end walked off with Helena uh, at yeah. the toy store. Those two yeah. guys. That means they should have had an awesome like 20-minute ending, like additional 20 minutes where Bill's like, Alice, we got to go get our daughter. And Tom Cruise enters his action phase. <laughs> Do you think that... The, you know the like slow zoom to that masked figure up in the balcony when they do the turn to camera? The question. Is, is that, that Sidney Pollock? I feel like it's... It's not prop, because it's no? not his eyes? No. But it has to be because why is that guy... He nods at him, right? Like right. he seems to somehow recognize Are those him? his eyes? I don't know. If somebody just took a picture of Sidney Pollock and like put the mask over it, maybe that would help me. For but, all we know, Sidney Pollock could be... 
the guy in the red, although it's not the same voice, so it's not. Right, that's Leon Vitali. That's the assistant. Oh, weird. That's the actor. Okay. Um, but the, oh, I also got an explanation for why there's some confusion about the Mandy. The voice? Yeah. This is a great little piece of trivia. Oh, well, the voice is amazing. Yeah, you share. The voice of the masked woman who comes up and is like, you're in serious danger. Yeah, because she apparently just had too much of an English accent. So they dubbed her with a then, you know, not as well-known Kate Blanchett. That's right. Yeah. Kate Blanchett. And that, I didn't know that until a few years ago. That, I didn't like, know that until last night. my mind. Yeah. Uh, the actress who's like overdosed in the bathroom is the same actor, I believe, who's in the morgue. Because it's the same person. Yeah. But I don't think she's any of the bodies that come up to Tom Cruise and warn him. But it's supposed to be the same maybe, character. Maybe. Like, that's also kind of what's confusing about the thing. I, I think it's left ambiguous. It's sort of like... I didn't find that to be ambiguous. No way, because she... You're right. Well, if you believe Ziegler, he said... The woman who OD'd was the woman who uh, gave the phony take me, take me routine. Yes. I, I mean, um, as an audience member, when I first watched it, I had confusion because it is different pubic hair. <laughs> and people have cited that before. It's like, wait, I remember after we saw it, people going like, she had different pubic hair. The thing <laughs> the book explains is not a in-world explanation, uh, behind-the-scenes one. I think that actress was unreliable or not great. Maybe explains also the Kate Blanchett overdubbing of it all. So they couldn't get her. And it's just an entirely different actress who's guiding him. And this maybe with so the mask confusing. over your face, you're not supposed to ask the question. Between but I asked the question because the body seemed different. Yeah. Between that and the fact that so many of the women look alike, presumably on purpose, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And it plays into it. But also the girl that, comes up with one of the masked figures to say, come with me before she comes and rescues him at the mm-hmm. last chance. They must have done a reshoot because her Bermuda triangle <laughs> changes from shot to shot. She comes in and it's one configuration and then it's a different one. It goes from Bermuda triangle to isosceles oh want to floss with these. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Keeping up the tradition of Sondheim of clever rhyme schemes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's really good. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I hate that I noticed it, but I feel better because Amanda pointed it out too. Maybe this is the ultimate um, mind fuck that like Stanley Kubrick pulls on is he forces people to admit that you were like taking dirty looks. Who's going to admit it to each other? Because yeah. it goes from like let's say, um, mossy arrowhead shape to sagebrush delta. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And you're using official international terminology. Oh, yeah. This is standardized. It comes on a laminated card. That's right. That's right. Uh, You uh, get it when you um, hit puberty. Yep. Um. Well, I bet if we noticed, I bet other people noticed. Did you notice? Comment and subscribe below. You pervs. God, what a weirdo. Um, 
Now, um, so where are we at? They're they're back home. Uh, um, they get back home after this party. He goes. What have we skipped anything until they're at this sex party? Um. Well, I have when he goes to the the costume rental. Yes, under the rainbow. Or well, where the it's rainbow called ends. Rainbow, and then there's yeah. a club called Under the Rainbow. But do you remember those two girls at the party are saying, "Yeah, where the rainbow ends." Ra- yeah, where the rainbow. I ends. love that. Yeah. So this guy that runs the costume shop, you've okay. seen him in a ton of things. He's like '90s character actor in so many. things. And he pops up in Mission Impossible too. So right. you know Tom Cruise is like, I love this guy. Yeah, he's I, really good. He's, he's great. I love his look. I once went to a cafe on the West Side, and he ran a little cafe. I don't what? know if he still does. He may not, I don't even know if he's alive. Um, and he was just serving people and it was like his own little Russian tea coffee cafe. Oh, and so he's authentically Russian too. I thought it was maybe just a guy. Or he would be German. I'm not, huh? I'm not, or, Austrian you know, Eastern or... European. Yeah. I'm not sure what he is, but he, he always plays Russians in movies. Yeah. Yeah. There's that other actor who always like an air force one. Who's like Gary's, um, uh, uh Oldman's oh. right hand man. He's has the biggest like rusky face. Is he was he, he in Crystal cast- Skull? Is he that guy? He was also in Miami Vice, the movie. If you saw him, he's more like eighties <sighs> into early mid nineties, late like I don't know if he touched those Miami Vice waters. The movie, right? Yeah. Let's Wait, see. you look up your guy, I'll look yeah, up my you guy. Look up, yeah. And everyone else, you look up your guy. And you and picture you the guy, your guy in your mind who you think we're talking about. Um, ooh, we should do a um, Russian musical break. Oh, yeah. Dun, da, uh, what's a... Um, what's a... <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Hmm. For some reason, Air Force One Russian. <laughs> Can't you look at IMDb? <laughs> Where's my guy? Oh, my guy's name is. Let me get a better picture of him here. My guy, I got his name. My guy's name is Pasha D. Lichnikov. Pasha D. Lichnikov. Ah. Uh, do you recognize that guy? I do. I do recognize okay. Pasha. I'm talking about Ila Baskin. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Elia Baskin. What else is he in? He's in Moscow and the Hudson. Seriously? Yeah. He's in the Spider, Raimi Spider-Man's Air Force One. Running Red, which I imagine I know what that color red is. 2010, I think he probably plays one of the Russians in that. There's also another guy in Crystal Skull who's, you don't see a ton, but I love his name. Igor Djajinki. (laughs) That's the perfect uh, last name for an Igor. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what am I saying? Of course he goes to this costume shop. Um, Look at me, I'm so anxiously wanting to jump to that sex party it's like Whoa, the you're like our listeners a bunch of perverts um also i just wanted to check to make sure um oh the other thing that's um uh um startling about just seeing a married couple um kissing each other and stuff naked, 
in that scene with the Chris Isaac music. Yeah. It's also, and I heard Stanley Kubrick was like inspired by husbands and wives, that um, mm-hmm. handheld verite kind of like yeah. Woody Allen movie that takes place in New York with uh, Sidney Pollack. That's about like New Yorkers having affairs and stuff. Um, what I think is really cool also is that it's like Stanley Kubrick's last movie and it has like handheld stuff. Things kind of can go out of focus or do sort of like weird, seemingly unprompted zoom ins like during that whole scene there's a jump cut there's a moment where it zooms in on her and it feels a little like uh uh sloppy or something yeah it there was a seven the best feel. way it's Even like, like a guy being like hey i know like sometimes i can get up my own butt with things but i love seeing the kind of like blurred out christmas lights kind of like yeah. bleached out and handheld um it's such a beautiful movie to look at yeah it really is maybe one of his best yeah looking um so that yeah he goes into that costume shop with our with our boy what did you order at his uh stand do you remember i don't remember no some borscht soup. i have some borscht and um i'm a borscht boy Take me as I am. Have you seen each Jinky? Oh, I also heard t- tale that during their argument, um, or somewhere in their bedroom, there's a Rain Man VHS box, but I can never find it. Hmm. So if people see it, let us know. Like and subscribe below. Um, oh, I also like it when he says, this kind of goes with what you're saying about the like, the two different acting styles and, and like also uh, what I was saying sort of about like Tom Cruise getting like punctured a little bit, like his charms aren't working. Yeah. That scene with her fighting when she goes like, are you, you seem very sure of yourself. And he goes, no, like in a very Jerry Maguire way. He goes, <laughs> no, I'm sure of you. And then she starts laughing at him. Yeah. Like that Cameron Crow shit's not going to go down here. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm bad. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, I also like the last line before he goes. And the last lines after really long scenes, I like when they're just like between two people. You're like, Ooh, what? At the very end, he says to her, she's like, do you have to go to that house call? And he says, I think I have to go over there and show my face. That's what you're going to be doing later, buddy. (sighs) To that cuckoo cold. Wow. Um, Any thoughts, uh, sorry, on that, uh, when he goes over to that woman's house or anything? uh, Not really. Like I said, I was like, that woman's playing a different intention here, and then you find out kind of what's going on. Um, do you, I mean, do you get the feeling that this world is so tightly knit that even that guy that died would have otherwise been at that sex party that night? Was he part of that? Cause if he's, they kind of imply that this doctor has a, a just a kind of like middle-class practice, but then he does these like moonlighting house calls for the elite or something. I yeah, and it's funny how the two apartments kind of compare and contrast in their eliteness because he goes from there to Domino's apartment. Yeah. And there's a literal maid that greets him right. at the first person that brings him to the bedroom. And then when Domino brings her to her apartment, she goes, maid's day off. Oh, yeah. And there's like, they capture so many great details. Like there's a stroller outside of her apartment yeah, because yeah. in New York apartments, right. people can't. Afford, or can't use that space up yeah. of just having a big old stroller so they just leave it so just like um, 
what I'm sure was a preoccupation always in the late nineties. But what is, I feel like the most kind of like prescient thing in this movie is that like, what we're in the most, uh, the have and have nots are the biggest they've been since the Gilded Age, Gourley? Mm, something like that, yeah. And so that's the thing that this movie seems to have an eye on is just, or maybe that's like eternal and ancient, but just like the startling stuff of like the have and have nots of like, yeah, he gets to walk down these amazing hallways before he even gets brought debt, brought to the death room where, yeah, the to bring it all incredible. back where that yeah. guy probably was going to go to that sex party right. if he wasn't on his deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> Missed out. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. He could have brought Tom with him. Gave him that, uh, well, no, there is no second pass. Oh, that was good. He, they so, that guy was fucking with our boy Tommy C. Yeah. By asking for a second password. Well, that's how they knew he wasn't invited. But I don't think they asked that of their regular clients. What's the second password? That was just a way to like. No, because they. To freak out Mr. Taxi, I think. was It was the final rub. They know this guy is a joke as soon as he rolls yeah. up late. He's coming yeah. in late. They needed to test him. He's late. He's in a taxi. Yep. He, and they're like, we know this guy's bullshit. Watch yeah. me walk over well, his asshole yeah, and ask him for the second password. <laughs> this is the real show tonight. I mean, we're all really bored of sex, right? We do. <laughs> by the way, we do these parties every night, seven days a week. I am exhausted. Oh, it's not even like under a full moon or yeah. once a month or once a quarter. Do you know how hard it is to get a velour cloak dry cleaned every day? <laughs> Ooh, that brings a question. Do you think the uh, Russian guy at the costume thing knows why Tom Cruise like I get a couple mm. of you assholes showing up every once in a while mm. asking for a cloak and Maybe a mask. Maybe he has an inkling but that's another thing that's got some ambiguity of obviously that arc of him suddenly allowing his daughter to be an underage kind of uh, toy he was just given enough money we assume what do you think changed yeah. his mind that was that's an odd this seems like the um, Eyes of My Chut, you know, you can say it feels like a lot of different Kubrick movies, but like this one just feels like um, Lolita, yeah. that particular moment, obviously, but also that it's like a dark comedy adaptation. Barry Lyndon's like an adaptation that's like has dark comedy moments that are funny, but like this more than most just seemed to be like what's funny is the, is what's funny in Lolita, which is like all the ways people are like not talking about the thing at hand and it's funny that they're like working so hard not to talk about like with yeah. the crazy right. sex stuff that's happening uh so yeah this scene is like well it almost feels like he's not even actually her dad for some reason like oh more like sort a of, pimp yeah sort of like they're like planting for tom cruise's benefit or i could buy that yeah i don't know i mean well, I thought about it like later. It hit me more when he drops off the thing, the mask. I just was conscious in this movie, rewatching like all the transactions that kind of go on mm. when he gives money, what he yeah. gets for giving money. And I was like, it's funny that this whole thing that's kind of about like, do you have, it sounds like Scarface, but it's like, do you have the money to get power to be able to have sex so when he came there and the guy was like yeah forgot your mask there buddy i'm gonna have to charge you more money on that you fucking perv and then that transaction is like right on the heels of this transaction that comes walking through the door yeah. which is like also about sex like and hey might... you can judge tom cruise but you came here to buy a mask for me last night 
so you could go to a weird sex party like this is all around us man or yeah. whatever i don't know what it's exactly saying, right? quote that, unquote that mask was only 25 dollars <laughs> maybe that's like kubrick most out of touch <laughs> Is like <laughs> George Bush and his gallon of milk. I, I what do does somebody, a sex mask cost these days? Mm, Four ninety nine. I heard somebody told me they worked with some a showrunner, a show creator who is. Uh, I didn't work with this person, but this person told me this person who had a rich boss who was out of touch, and but he was like second wave out of touch. Like he knew the the pitfall would be a rich guy thinking something costs too much. Oh, so he went the other, he prices right at it? So he went too far down. Uh-huh. So he would be like, I mean, a salary for like a, a, a custodian would be like, what, like 5000 A year. Like a year? Like, Jeez. that's a little, you're, you're yeah. insane. Like he would price it, yeah, he would yeah. price this right down. Do you know about who the mask was modeled on? No. Okay, I got to take an eyes wide shut after this, but uh, our thighs wide shut. Uh, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> I have to say, I was looking at the mouth the whole time going, I recognize that. Who is that mouth? Who is that mouth? It looks like someone. Oh then I read about it and, and I'm oh not God. saying I like projected this on it, but I was like immediately, yes, that's who it is. Ryan O'Neill. That's what the internet says, but I definitely see it. Oh my god! That yeah. mouth. Look again. Is it somehow related to Barry Lyndon? I like, think it was an homage or something. I don't know. That is so cool. You learn yeah. something new every day. I love that. Well, think about it while you pee about it. <laughs> we'll be right back. With and rest. With and rest. We're back. Uh, you know, we've been coming up on two hours here, and uh, my buddy Matt, he offers me his phone plug because my phone is dying, dying. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. It's the least I can do, especially as we're about to enter the most important part of this film, and that is the Fidelio Secret Society Quasi-Religious cloaked sex party incense and like a little uh yeah very catholic um, yeah feel or like gregorian or i don't know what i mean i know um our boy tommy is a lapsed catholic mm. so maybe he was like i think there should be more incense if you're gonna be doing weird <laughs> religious sex things <laughs> uh oh one thing when you said fidelio when he gets the password yeah um uh, in a movie filled with cozy locales oh. and cozy rooms, is that jazz bar well, not? I want to go see <sighs> Nick Nightingale and his borrowed band at that cavernous little jazz club so bad, and then go to a sex party. Yeah, I mean that's the the, the nightcap. <laughs> but oh my god, those lights to be able to go down it's so warm. Oh, I mean, yeah. I um I know I was complaining before about the heat. Vis-a-vis New York, but I do love in New York being able to go into a small little room when you're cold and get warm with other people and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but um, there's a, some people think uh, that Stanley Kubrick uh, 
in there. That it's, is it's not on but. IMDb. So that is worrying me that these other little facts I'm spouting out oh, are all no, but fake. hey, who's to say? It could be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of um, dubious trivia, this has probably come up on the podcast before, but I feel like I got to set the record straight that for years, I think it's still on there. I don't remember what the title is, but it started out this way that on my IMDb, it says that I played a masked party stud in this film. <laughs> Somebody put it on knowing we were going to be watching Ice no. You'd read the trivia? No. The way it happened is I had a guy on my old podcast, I was there too. This uh-huh. really nice guy from Dead Poet Society, which has always been one of my famous favorite films. Yeah. And he had on his IMDb, I, you know, I would go through their IMDb's and talk to them about certain roles, masked party stud from Eyes Wide Shut. And I was like, you have to tell me everything. Oh my. And he said, no, my friends put that credit on there on IMDb as a joke. And then some listener put that on mine and it's been there ever since. Although I think it's now something different. It's not, I love that it was masked party stud. Now I think it's like masked party guest or party (laughs) guest. I don't know what, but man, I think you even bringing up this rumor just to dispel it is very curious. (laughs) Very suspicious. Victor Ziegler in you. Conspicuous. Couldn't we just say That it was a little uh, stage. It was a charade. That you weren't really masked stud. No, I was a... Masked party stud. Masked dweeb. (laughs) But if it was, then you get mask in there too. Your favorite cartoon. Mobile Armored Strike Command. Uh, Hey, uh, 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 you know, I feel for Bill walking into a shop... Forgetting your mask is an entirely different thing in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was very prescient. Having to take off your mask in front of a group of people who are also wearing masks, that's dangerous. They were Uh, testing him twice. The the trivia that I go, I don't know, but somebody on one of those websites thinks when um, the costume guy goes, it looks real, yes, about the mannequins, that it is real people who are dressed up. Oh. I don't know. I tried to look. I can't hmm. find it. Interesting. Now, Ziegler in the billiard scene says, I don't even want to tell you the names of some of the people who are at mm. that party. So it's 1999 New York. Who do you speculate would be there? Like Woody Allen. Yeah, for sure. Guaranteed. For sure. Epstein. <laughs> Epstein, of course. Probably a Giuliani. Um, uh, I, uh, Clinton. Oh, Bill Clinton, yeah. He's for sure there. He's been cleared of the Lewinsky stuff, so he's like, I'm... Oh, yeah, impunity. You can't get double jeopardy. Yeah. For some reason, people keep forgiving me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who else? Uh, Gingrich. Oh, what late 90s SNL star... Oh, Chris, a Jim Brewer. I mean, I would say Chris Kattan and Jim Brewer, they would do it, but I don't think they'd be invited. <laughs> I you? think. Right, right, right. Lauren Michaels. Yeah, Lauren Michaels. Matt Lauer's there. Definitely. Charlie Rose. Um, we're just naming all the recent sex offenders. Um, Harvey Weinstein's got to be there. She has heyday. Yeah, that's a. Uh, um, well, um, <laughs> I made a little joke. Recently, where I was like, um, hey, it's okay that Queens, New York, wants to build statues to some of its most famous citizens. 
I applaud that. Every town should do that. But to choose Harvey Weinstein, Andrew Cuomo, and Donald Trump, <laughs> that is the exact same flavor of toxicity in all of those men. Yeah. And I do think uh, you could put a Ziggler in there. That's all yeah. part of the same rot. Oh, yeah. Fuck those guys. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's another thing, I guess, watching Eyes Wide Shut, that it feels... Well, it was case always and forever, but now it just seems like it was maybe sensing something before. It's just like how power gets misused to exploit yeah. people sexually. What are the great orgy scenes in movies? Because you got Caligula, this... <laughs> Season two of True Detective. <laughs> I was thinking when I was watching this orgy scene, I was like, it takes a real imaginative, creative person <laughs> to stage an orgy like this. Because <laughs> you still not, have to block it. <laughs> no other human being on earth would film an orgy like that. It's just so, yeah. And it yeah. is like quasi religious. I think they later found out some of the audio was from the Bahava Gita. And then people heard it and were like, that's offensive. So they took it out. Oh. So there exists a version in that music that's like, hi, yeah. I'm also like curious as to what's going on at this orgy where there's very seemingly deliberate participants and watchers. Mm-hmm. Like, did you buy a first or second level tier ticket? What password did you have? Like, it allows you to be a watcher, a participant. <laughs> Like uh, uh, when you go and you get like stadium seats you can get or in the, yeah. in the theater. And even get. some of the girls are just lounging and watching. Yeah. I wonder if any of you raise a good question that I've never thought of, which is like, it doesn't seem like any of the rich clientele or any of the participants. There, there were I'm, some. Really? Because I just see these like, dudes and with muscles and oh, stuff. Oh, maybe you're right. Like, they're hired as well, but... Yeah, because I'm not seeing any Harvey Weinstein bodies, no. like, grinding away on a couch No there. Ziegler bodies, even. No. They're not old. They're That's young. That's true. So it seems like it's all about... Oh, interesting. Voyeurism. Maybe there's just, like, a place for impotent men to go to watch or something. Well, when did Viagra hit the scene? Because I bet that really changed the sex party the situation orgy? at yeah. Somerland or whatever. Spike, yeah, spike, orgy spiked in whatever, 2002 or whenever it was. Most orgies back then before pre-Viagra would end at like 9 p.m. <laughs> but man also pointed out that in one of those little shots walking through the orgy, there is a man going down on a woman, but he's still wearing his mask. And she's like, how does he do that? That was the most prescient thing. That's what people I bet are doing now on first dates when they hook up and they... <laughs> That guy keeps his mask on. I'm fine with, I don't need no Southern condom, but I need a Northern condom. For You uh, want one of them Northern condoms. Oh, no. <laughs> Who are you? Are you representing uh, Southern I, condoms? I, I represent Trojan horse condoms because that's the only way you're going to get the South is to send in a big cornucopia made of wicker. But out come all you little Yankee soldiers try to give us Northern condoms. We're not interested in it. I still wear my sheepskin <laughs> rubber dick. You know, Matt, as long as we're having condom talk here, I might as well... Uh, if this Who's story- Matt? Oh, I'm sorry, Southern lawyer. 
Southern my, gentleman lawyer. My Christian name is Southern H. Lawyer, like Larry H. Parker. <laughs> um, well, um, just so you know where I was at when I first saw Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. this was less than three months, two months, after I drove to a town 30 miles outside of my hometown so I wouldn't be seen buying condoms <laughs> at Walmart and I hid them in a Star Wars bag. <laughs> so when I walked through Walmart, I was holding a Star Wars gift bag. It's so funny. And then I had sex and, uh, 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 you know, it's so funny that I'm buying a ticket to watch a movie about what it's like the sex life of a married couple eight years in. And I'm like, she had sex once and I was too scared to be seen buying condoms. Case closed. My little client here has to go to the store to buy it in a, in a Padme Amidala gift bag. He puts his little rubber doohickeys in there. That's why I think we have to abolish all of these latex John Thomases. I'd like to bring up another witness to the stand, and this is a true story. You're, state your name. Matt Gorley. Oh. Put your hand on this, the Southern Bible. This is just a Paula Deen cookbook. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, one time I myself was very young and had to buy some uh, rubber condoms, but I also was going to a party for my friend's birthday, and as a joke, I thought I'd buy him a Hello Kitty cake, and I realized as I checked out at the market, the only two things I was oh. buying was a Hello Kitty cake and a set of uh, uh, Trojans. <laughs> You didn't have like a pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade <laughs> <laughs> and a pizza. Uh, oh, my oh. poor little boy. Look at this. See the embarrassment flush on his rosy reds. Oh, he's, he's he gets bashful sometimes, but you bring it out in him. So, no, as long as we have you here, oh, Southern. what am I understand? No, no, no. Give me the Paula Dean cookbook. <laughs> I swear on these um, chocolate laden hush puppies to tell the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, thank you. I was just going to ask you, uh, what, what's your opinion on Eyes Wide Shut? Have you seen it recently? Did seen you like it. it? I think if you look to the left in a certain number of shots, there's one mask that looks like kind of like a Cubert. That's me. <laughs> I'm a mask party. Oh, you're that Cubert mask. If you look, there's one part where my cloak parts and you can see my seersucker condom. I have to wonder how many people, just by virtue that they can say a lie that they get away with, have told people like yourself, you know, have said that they were one of the best people when I was with John. Yes, if this time it's the literal truth. It is true. Oh, yeah. So what was it like on set? Oh dear, I would never... Being I'll around never all those naked women and, and yeah. Stanley Kubrick and Tom Cruise must have been a heady scene. Well, the most exciting was to see those uh, CGI people come in and stand in front of the real sex people. I didn't, you know, I never knew that was practical CGI. It was incredible. <laughs> Incredible to see. <laughs> they know, uh, they know Jar Jar, right? Oh, Jar Jar was, yeah, he came there. Yeah. Is it true Jar Jar was going to be one of the CGI bodies that uh, <laughs> blocked the sex? 
He was in a. He's wearing a Gungan cloak from Odo Gunga. It's a special kind of given to him by Captain Tarples. Now, oh, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, my depth of knowledge on the Phantom Menace goes deep. Yeah, fathom, you're a full big, Fathom Five. You, uh, you're an original um, subscriber to Bantha Tracks, right? That's exactly right. And I can tell you that the reason that Boss Nass looks a little <laughs> different from, a, say, Captain Tarples or Jar Jar Binks is because he eats too many. Group of fish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I got to. I got to run. Oh, bye. I'm doing a guest spot on Judge Judy. <laughs> okay, as long as that's not another podcast. No, no, never, never. Bye, Will Smith. Oh, I will. Oh, yeah. Um, congrats on uh the new movie. Oh yeah, Bill. King Richard. Good yeah. job. Hmm. It's no Christmas Evil, but okay. Next time, try. Try to make it as good as Christmas Evil. We uh, still have a frosty relationship with Will. Things have not really, and we'll get into it some other time. But yeah, I think it's pretty evident. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's a preponderance of masks. Uh, just want to say before he gets to that uh, thing, there's there's one in the dad, the dead dad's. There's one right next to his bed. There is. Yeah, and then there's well, like a, one of those kind of masks. Yeah. Oh, oh holy cow! It even adds yes. That's Jeez. his little. He's like, hey, if I get the energy, I'm gonna just bop right out, grab that mask, and be out of here. Honey, will you put this by my bedside? Don't ask any questions, but I just want it on hand, just for a little inspiration. She's <laughs> <laughs> southern lawyer. <laughs> and then in um, Domino's room. She has a bunch of masks all over oh, her. Yeah. And then a book that makes you think that maybe she's like a college student. It says introducing sociology or something. Like oh, that. yeah. I saw that. I, was like, I thought that said introducing Scientology when I first saw it. <laughs> Tom really pushed for it. <laughs> Dianetics. He's like, can we at least make it Dianetics? <laughs> no. No, Tom. No, we're not going to put Dianetics on the cover, <laughs> on the shelf again. Um, uh, 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 uh. So yeah, the CGI bodies. Yeah. Um that was they Warner Brothers claimed that was always the agreement that if the movie was going to get an X rating uh and they needed to fix it, they would use CGI. I will say I know that he went with the top house. Like he looked at he went Santa Cooper conferred with all these people and did choose like the mm. digital effects team and it still holds up. I mean, it doesn't yeah, look it, great, but... I think if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Yeah. So yeah. as far as 1999 human bodies, yeah. like being, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, uh, At least the uh, pubic hair is more consistent than the... No, you only see their butts. Yeah, maybe they could have gotten some of those computer nerds on the pubic hair. <laughs> Special uh, edition. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing he changes. <laughs> oh, um, and put also, Jabba back in. Do you? Did you? I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around. But uh, that uh, Lily Sobieski, what she whispers to him. I do know what it is. Isn't that wild? Is it? You might want to try an ermine lining in that coat. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah what do you think that means? This girl really wants him to get a coat with ermine lining. Yeah, it's just like, is she? pushing for a sale is that an innuendo is it just something that they came up with on set to give her something to say maybe that is like that you were saying like there seems to be an agreement between her and maybe not her dad yeah maybe that's kind of their like paper moon style like sales thing is like 
<laughs> you come out and then push the ermine. Yeah. Because yeah. that's good at extra five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are all the great whispered lines in cinema? Like the Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson. Right. This Lost the what if they're all, it's always the same line. So he was telling her, Bill Murray was telling <laughs> Scarlett Johansson to get the coat with the ermine lining. <laughs> what are some other uh, unknown... Um, Oh, in Reservoir Dogs, when he's uh, he whispers uh, Harvey Keitel um, before he jizzes on Tim Roth, <laughs> he, when he's like holding Tim Roth before he like dies and stuff, uh, uh, he whispers something in his ear that makes Tim Roth laugh. It's like, oh, I wonder what. Hey, you should try an ermine coat lining in that that black suit coat. Yeah, I mean that it's cool. But maybe for the sequel, we'll all have ermine in our Reservoir Dog suits. I tried to jerk off onto Michael Madsen, but he, he cut off one of my balls. <laughs> uh, now, okay. Oh, I th- uh, at that when they're at that thing, um, that party. I do like um, that party. <laughs> that capital T H A T party. Um, it's really funny when he's walking through and there's like couples and they're dancing to strangers of the night. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause Matt, you and I live and breathe the world of comedy. So we have to point things out when they're funny and amusing. To I us. agree. And also one of the songs playing there, I believe is by Burt Campfort, the Canadian, like big band who is also name checked in one week by bare naked ladies. Burt Camford's got the mad hits. You try to match wits. You want a homie, but a bust through late nineties was his peak. I know. Bare naked ladies He's dropping dead by Kubrick's there. putting them in his movie. I have a Burt Camford station on my spot. <laughs> what kind of music on. is it? It's like, like a just, you know, like kind of almost uh-huh. like sixties lounge orchestra. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I noticed the um, music cue for her when she shares about how she almost ran off with the na- naval guy. And then when she wakes up and shares the dream, it's the same music cues. Oh, I didn't notice that. And then a new, an entirely new music cue that I was like, oh, I've never really paid attention to it is when he uh, visits the corpse and he gets up to her face. There's like a little, cool mm. little music cue. What do you but think I don't that- think it's that composer what do you think the orderly's thinking when yeah this guy's got doctor's credentials but then he comes and he just stares down in the corpse's face he's like what's this short guy doing with this corpse (laughs) this is weird I bet he wishes she was on the first level of meat lockers there was audible groans I remember my theater where people thought he was gonna kiss the corpse I thought so yeah I mean when I was watching it I was like I kind of thought the movie hadn't gone extreme enough when I was seeing it at that point like maybe I thought the orgy was going to be more mind blowing, yeah. but I was expecting like the equivalent of uh, out thereness, like Clockwork Orange, Drawford right. or something. Right. Uh, I mean, that's why I was really into Kubrick, the edge lordness uh, of it all. Yeah. Uh, so I thought he was going to kiss that corpse. Kiss that corpse. That that flashback sequence with the naval officer or dream sequence. I talked about how rough that must have been for Nicole Kidman to, if she in fact did do six days of that. Yeah. But imagine you're this guy cast just for this role to come in. You don't have any speaking parts. To be the hunk. You're coming in just to caress a naked Nicole Kidman for six days straight under the tutelage of Stanley Kubrick. That must have been like so surreal. Yeah. And you'd have surreal. Yeah. Totally. And you'd have like, a story to share 
for the rest of your life. Like people would be like, that is so there too. Yeah. All of his friends would introduce him. His mom (laughs) would introduce him to (laughs) friends. Is that way? He's the greatest Naval officer on nineties films since Kevin Costner and no way out. (laughs) Oh yeah. It does that footage because of the, whatever the frame, the slow motion. Yeah. Like post-production slow-mo. Yeah. And the bathed in blue lightness. That's what the movie particularly feels like. Showtime. It does. Showtime. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like Dateline flash reenactments or something. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be kind of tawdry in that way, but, um, the, um, Oh yeah. The, um, just that it's not obvious. Just like that end when he's saying to her, uh, um, disrobe in front of the group. That is the thing that most feels like uh, nightmarish to me, or the thing that feels most like an anxiety dream. It's yeah. like uh, a group of people are all looking yeah. at me and they're asking me to take my clothes off. And you're busted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're outed as a fraud. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie I've noticed, like, every scene begins with like, he has to ask in some ways for admittance to get uh, where like the doorman opens for the nightclub and the maid lets him into the apartment. Yeah. Like oh, he's just yeah. like gatekeepers. Yeah. Gatekeepers. The Russian guy has to unlock the door and Ooh. bring him through that like security system metal thing. Right. So it's like the idea after you've, and then now you're in the ultimate anxiety. I, there's a second password and I didn't know it. Yeah. And these doormen could like fuck my shit up. Like the, it's the sex thing. I think it's like right at the midpoint of the movie when it goes on orgy. And it does feel like that's like the, when the movies before indifferent is like, it's all about the anxiety of, can I get into places? And then the back half is like the anxiety of I've been shut out. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this movie could either be called blue balls, the motion picture <laughs> or that's, is that what the blue lighting is? <laughs> to Two windows. Balls. <laughs> yes. Or uh, uh, um, uh, uh, FOMO the movie, yeah, just like w- the pain of being like left out, yeah, is what this movie is like. Man, there's a better party going on up there that I'm not. I think that's partly why Nick shares that information in the jazz club. It's like, oh, you became a doctor. You live up in the Upper West Side. You have a wife and kid. Uh, you don't have to like travel from city to city playing jazz with strangers. Uh, I get to go to a sex club yeah, thing tomorrow. But I got something tonight. you don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> hmm. And at work, Tom Cruise is like, "Fuck you." <laughs> we haven't even talked about the Christmas element of this, really, right? And is this because Ziegler's party is a Christmas party? That's, is that's why is he's throwing the it? You're sex right. party. Like, like this is our annual. We do. 20 of these a year, but this is the Christmas one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like, yeah, last month it was the Thanksgiving yeah, fuck fest. the Halloween, uh, where we don't wear masks. Yeah, the reverse. Yeah. Oh, now I finally know what that guy looks like who's been Ooh. blowing me. <laughs> <laughs> With his mask on? It's Victor Ziegler. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. I remember when we all went for Perkins, uh, this <laughs> diner, after we watched, as my chat, we were talking about it. My friend was like, I thought the Christmas lights, this is very charming, like, 
That's what I do to this day. He was just like, uh, I bet the Christmas lights are to be in contrast to how immoral everybody's being. And oh, I don't think that's that. Yeah. But I do wonder if it's like, oh, all the Christmas lights and things like, uh, maybe that's just as pagan as like when people have like weird ritualized yeah. fuck vests too. Right. It's like the same what is Christmas? It's like some winter solstice. I'm sure they held orgies for the winter solstice. Yeah, four hundred years ago. The tree is a druid thing, I think. Oh. Right? Isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And then what? Like decorating a tree and stuff. Probably. Yeah. Seems yeah. pretty pagan. I'm just just uh, getting back to a little bit of speculation here. What, yeah. If Sidney Pollock is lying and this stuff is real. Mandy sacrifices herself for Tom Cruise, knowing she knows she's going to be killed. Cause they even say, are you sure? And you know what this means? And she says, yes. Right. That's one thing that makes me think like, is this real? Oh, I have a part reason why I think she did die of an overdose because she almost did it earlier than night. Yeah. Now I know that helps with the story, yeah, like right. plausible no, right. deniability and or whatever. It's but hard to believe she would just flat out throw down her life for him. So, so cavalierly. Yeah. Because the whole thing seems a little ritualized. I buy the idea that like, it's part like now, if it was a completely unritualized orgy where people are just like going into rooms and doing blow and having sex with each other, I would maybe not buy like the woman be like, take me. Yeah. But maybe this has been as old as the hills that it's like, oh, if we get like every one of few of these, we get a guy who shouldn't be here. We got to scare him off. <laughs> so we do this dumb routine that takes time away from us having sex. This yeah. is what sucks about the guy showing up. This is just the busy is the paperwork. You got to do the paperwork. <laughs> every job has its doldrums. Hmm. Who knows though? I wonder if it's, I think if I remember when I post this, I want to do a poll for yeah. our trustees. Do you think Mandy really died or Mandy? Like the OD'd or is the dark outcome real? Like the, is the threat version real or was it staged? Yes. That's great. And we'll see what threat people real say. or staged. Yeah. yeah. Like, and subscribe below. <laughs> and, uh, whatever the, the results are, that's what the movie's canon has to change to. We worked it out with that's right. um, the well, Kubrick estate. I mean, I think art is in the eye of the beholder and Kubrick himself is very much on, in the, the, uh, pocket of, you decide, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. So we have no choice but to decide on our own if he's not going to tell us. And that's <laughs> gospel. It would be funny, you know, how like novelists will be like, don't, I wrote these books, don't release them until like 20 years after I'm dead. Yeah. If like he released like all the uh, answers. Yeah. So it was like, the monolith is actually my dick. <laughs> all of them are my dicks. He's like, oh, he tricked us. <laughs> Except eyes wide shut. <laughs> yeah, that's not <laughs> yeah. anything about dicks. Uh, um uh just the the, the 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 sexual element in this movie uh I will say I think it's partly because of the time he came of age as a filmmaker and with Stanley Kubrick and people got looser and so you could push things more but like Dr. Strangelove is so funny because it's the whole thing is about like it opens on like phallic shots yeah, of missiles and the guys the like of people. 
It was during sex when I couldn't get a boner that I realized it must be because the Russians are putting things in my drink. And now we got to like bomb them with our yeah. own big penises. Like, uh, and then Lolita's all like, uh, I'm just saying that this dude, I think he was a horny dude yeah. or just like what I like about watching his movies. There are sex in it. It's not like I like the titillating aspect of it necessarily. It's like the, um, there's a lot of comparisons to him and Paul Thomas Anderson a lot yeah. that people can make, but I think the two that they, many things they share, but one of them is sex is such a big part of people's lives and how they think about things and what motivates them in crazy ways. The fact that it isn't like really the stuff of a lot of movies is kind of weird, puritanical, yeah. kind of strange, particularly now. Paul Thomas Anderson is the only person in his generation, maybe who like sex can be something that characters have and exists in his movies. Who else? Like outside of jokes, it's never like, yeah. Oh, this person is sexualized and because they can't act on it or they act on it too much. They do this, but I yeah. know like seven out of 10 people in my life, like fuck their shit up because oh, yeah. they can't control their impulses. So why isn't this the stuff of every movie? That's you know? what I love about <laughs> the novels of John le Carré that all these oh, really? like, super high stakes events often turn on someone's libido, make, making them make a bad judgment or they're being blackmailed because of choices they've made and stuff like that. And their motivations are driven just as much by venal desires as by like state, queen and country yeah, yeah i mean in a way that's really the only if somebody by that point in their life hasn't been seduced by money like come to our side be a secret interloper spy for us like the only way you could fuck it up i mean that's the only truth i can't understand because it's like bill clinton harvey weinstein andrew cuomo you fucking you yeah. blow it yeah. because you can't do control. You could amass so much money and power like that, but you can't control that, that one element. inextricable because I was thinking about that of going like, if you and I got to that level of power, would we do the same thing? But there's something where we wouldn't get, we wouldn't fight for that level of power. Right. And I think they must go hand in hand. There must be some kind of like, goddamn like testosterone overdrive in them or something that needs that same thing with Trump like that approval that yeah. ambition that gross ambition that also leads you to it probably conquer. is power because know. people do say like with guys like that that it's not a sexual yeah. drive thing it is yeah. about another example of power that they can conquest and get right so yeah I wonder if it is like what I remember hearing like Mark Wiener, was that the congressman? Oh, no. Um, oh, Anthony Wiener. Anthony. Mark Wiener's the puppet guy who did like the hand puppets where it was like Wienerville and it's like <laughs> totally different. Okay. Uh, he said like there's something that happens when you go in front of a crowd of people um, at a rally and they're all looking at you I think this is why stand-up comics kind of like have these sort of... Uh, now, in any line of work, I'm sure that creeps exist who exploit their power. But like this idea of... The way that Anthony Weider was explaining it was like he, the person 
you get all this adulation that blows your brain up. And then you go home and you don't have that adulation anymore. It's like a drug and it can't like match it. Uh, so then you, it becomes about the pursuit of other adulation. and effect. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm listening to his explanation because he's insane. It's psychotic. <laughs> so like whatever no, his but answer he's, is. It's probably but true. But I think he's getting at something like that. Yeah, like I think why. so. Um, yeah, I uh, I think I've said it before on this uh, podcast. Um, like, my wife can see in my face when I like haven't told her that the shampoo is out, and I like feel bad about it. There's no way in my mind I could ever imagine walking through a door into my house and not have it read on my face somehow. That I'm a lunatic that's done like something. But like, don't you see it's a perfect crime because you would just think that you were out of shampoo. <laughs> yes, yes. Always. I'll just blame that I ran out of shampoo. And then Paul, she we checks were, the shampoo. It's like, we have a case full of shampoo, Paul. Who is she? <laughs> no, uh, that is not where my uh, 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 gifts lie, is yeah. the accumulation of. Uh, Same. Thank God. I yeah, mean, I, I, I mean, I certainly but... have my... I was thinking, a, we'll make this a two-minute tangent, but because I want to hear your answer. You know, people say like, oh, people get into entertainment or comedy or they have a whole because um, they felt small and they needed a reason to feel big. And I know for a lot of comedians or writers and stuff, maybe they were bullied and because of my school being small or because I was just everybody got along there wasn't intense bullying and I never was bullied growing up so when I meet people and I'm like oh they were bullied I get how that shaped them and why they're so funny (laughs) or whatever I go like well I wasn't bullied what's that about and I have place where I think what my bully was, which is, I think I've said this before, because we were touching on it with the Santa stuff. I think like the idea that like, there's a rule that exists out there that I could unknowingly break and get in trouble, like mm. authority figures and the fear I had about authority figures made me feel small. Interesting. The Catholic church. Yeah. Catholic right. school, whatever. It was just like, that was the thing that like made me feel small. Uh-huh. So in Eyes Wide Shut, I do like respond to this stuff I was gonna really ask well, where I'm like, fuck yeah, this sucks. Yeah. Getting made to feel small all the time. Yeah. Uh, especially in a city. A city has a certain like ways to make you feel New York small. especially. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I mean, when the way you get to places is based on your income level, it's truly like, can you be behind the wheel of your own life? Can you be in the backseat of your life? Do you have to be in the subway train with everybody else and share the, your life with them? Yeah, anyway, walk. what's your bully, Gorley? Well, you don't have to answer that. I'm but. with you, and I, I reject that you have to have been flat out bullied. That's I, true. I hear comics say that like, you have to have some formative or traumatic experience. Made to see, feel small, maybe, is what. But I'm with you though. Yeah. I like, I don't think it's as simple as that, yeah. you know, yeah. but I think as silly as it sounds that, you know, experience I had with Halloween and it was more the yeah. after effects of 
how my parents dealt with it just meant that I had to, and my parents, not of course putting the blame on my parents at all, just uniquely the, between the two of them, there was some care and some yeah. like sweeping it under the rug that then led me to seek an outlet that was creative to yeah. why, whether that's running from that or just to self-soothe. I just became, I turned inward and definitely started occupying myself with things that helped me positively. And yeah. I'm grateful for that in a sense. I mean, and so I don't know, you could never know how much you're responding to those type of things or were you just always born to be a kind of performer? But I do know that podcasting suits me way more because I'm not the type that desires to get up in front of an audience and have that drug filled. I think mm -hmm. younger, when I was younger, I loved that. Yeah. Now it gives me a little more anxiety. But Sometimes I still I get uh, embarrassed by it. Yeah, I uh, do too. I'll go and I'll, after a thing, I'm like, where did I do that? I, why do I feel like I need this? Or Yeah, especially if it's kind of like a old school, like, you got to put on a costume of any kind or something. Like, I just feel yeah. like I probably passed that. I love my shows with my Super Ego Boys. I loved doing sure. the music show we oh, did. Oh, yeah, of course. Those, I think, are my speed now. Yeah. But I don't know that I'm a get up and just do an improv show guy anymore. I don't yeah. need that fix. And podcasting is one step removed. I just like talking to my friend here. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've just, this is the perfect medium and the perfect type of live shows for this period in my life. And I'm glad that I have. That. Oh, 1000% buddy. I yeah. totally agree. I feel the same. And like, yeah, I have like my, um, improv crew that I feel very safe in and I'd love to do shows with them. But the idea of like stretching out and improvising with other people just doesn't like that doesn't ex excite me or yeah. whatever that's just how i feel right now. yeah but uh and then uh and i should say i do have my sex parties yeah so those oh yeah yeah based on too. true detective though yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah i mean that, the house is you know you can <laughs> practically see it from here and it's just calling away. me it's a boater away <laughs> uh, the green and green are architects heaven dream uh the thing i really like uh about podcasts that i'll just yes and with all this uh improv talk is um the uh, what I think is really good about it for comedy and life is or entertainment uh -huh. is if there was a live audience, there'd be all kind of pandering going oh, on yeah, left right. and right, people trying to chase what they think people want to hear. That's a good point. And if I, just as an audience member, I love listening to a podcast where um. I'm like, oh God, they're being authentic. I'm not hearing this like pandering because this is an open mic and you don't know yeah. who the whole audience is or yeah. something. I mean, that's thrilling or too. Or they're just but. trying to please their buddy, you know, or in a good way, you know, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. right. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I pander to you constantly. Oh, same, yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, I want to note that when he goes back to his office, he's using a Performa Power PC by Apple, and that was the first computer I ever at owned, other than my Commodore 64 in the 80s. But Okay, so this movie was shot like 97, I think. It was right after Jerry Maguire. Okay, because I got my first computer in 96. Damn, that is so cool. Yeah. I wonder if the actual year for this movie is supposed to be like the in-universe year is like 1996 oh, maybe, or 97 yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, and that's also uh, one of Kubrick's 
other daughters there who's the mom of the boy getting checked. Yeah, and the boy is his... His grandson. Right. And originally was going to use it because he had like cut his hand. So they were like, oh, we're going to get to use his real bandage and you could just like show that and then they ran out of time or so too much time passed i was like but i did promise you the part so now we'll just have him come in and he's checking you for a cold or something but i need you to cut your (laughs) or get a real cold um now yeah when he does wake up ooh, there are some deleted shots uh scene shots i've seen of bill alice and helena in a rowboat in a pond so sometimes i wonder if like when they were talking about their vacation they were gonna Cut to it, like flashbacks. Or is it the day when they go Christmas shopping, or would that be too cold? Oh, yeah, that would be too... Yeah, because it's summertime oh, for those shots. Yeah, it must uh, be flashbacks. Um, I like the... Um, when he... When the new day starts, it's exactly... There's like one hour left. And uh, that Clockwork Orange has a really cool structure where he... The first half meets everybody... And then he goes through the program and then like a storybook, like a fairy tale, he ends, winds up interacting with each person he interacted with Uh. on the way there. But now he's different and he can't defend himself. So all the people he victimized, he's getting victimized. But I like that structure of this too. It's like, so it is cozy and it is kind of like OCD, which is like, oh, we get to go back to all those places again that we went to and just see what it looks like a little different. Yeah. I mean, he goes to news places like that cafe and stuff, but it makes me wonder why also this is set at Christmas. If you said that flashbacks at summer, it doesn't have to be. It's, it's like you take all those movies that, you know, people always like to jokingly argue is it a Christmas movie, die hard, right. lethal weapon, all these things. There's, it's not pivotal that they have to be set at Christmas, but do you think it's entirely aesthetic? Like I know, yeah, maybe the inter- interior lighting. That's like why Barry Lyndon is all candlesticks and real life lighting. Uh, just like, oh, if I'm going to use practical lights, let's make them look pretty and use well, Christmas they, lights. They, I did read that Kodak, the best stock they could get, Kodak didn't make anymore, and Kodak, out of oh. deference to Stanley Kubrick, started producing again for him, and they had to run this film through twice to get it bright enough because they used so much practical lighting wow oh they, they had knew to that. Uh, brighten it up two passes yeah two, wow. whatever it is yeah yeah i mean uh, that's probably it's funny they never one of the guys who beats him up or or one of the homophobic guys that says merry christmas mary and mm. when that kid is in the doctor when he's visiting, he's like, uh, do you know what you want for Christmas? But there's very... And the Christmas shopping at the end. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And she's wrapping presents and the daughter says, can we get a dog for Christmas? That's right. But like, um, those are things just being mentioned though. They're yeah. not like actual seasonal yeah. activities. Toy, going to the toy store is the most thing. Yeah, because yeah. the party could be for any reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh. I, why didn't they just put it the 4th of July? <laughs> <laughs> just to really make us believe it's New York and not London. <laughs> um, so, oh, um, I did think, you know, you do see the doctor. He is a decent, good man. Like, he seems to genuinely care about the girl in the bathroom when she ODs. Mm-hmm. And for the first time watching this, I did think, like, 
oh, there does seem to be something particularly painful for him that he would do something that would cause, you know, do no harm. Yeah. That like this person's been harmed by. Yeah. He does seem concerned about Nick and Mandy. Like he really, the reason he's following up on the heels of this and they're saying, stop looking into this is he wants to know what happened to these people. Not like, what's the story with the sex? Right. You know? Yeah. It's not like, Oh, I'm, I got to cover my own ass here. So I got to figure out what's going on. And it's such a, if it is a conspiracy movie of sorts, but it's such a cuckoo. Yeah. Um, uh, conspiracy. I would love to own that prop letter that they delivered to the I gate. I the same thing. Yeah. I, to own that letter would be so cool. It would be so cool to have a collection of movie letters because there's also a note in License to Kill the Bond movie of after Felix Leiter gets eaten by a shark and the villain gives a note to Bond that says he disagreed with something that ate him. <laughs> and I would love to have that. And then All all Work and No Play makes oh, Jack yeah. a dull boy if you yeah. wanted to follow that. Um, what are some other... This isn't necessarily specific, but I love in movies when they bring out a big old fat wax stamp. Oh yeah. Or how about the um the Jack Frost mag printed out computer printed magazine ransom notes. <laughs> if you could have that next to the uh uh the eyes wide shut letter. Yeah. You'd be like, oh I'm living in a um have I died and gone to cinematic heaven? <laughs> the grail rubbings from Last Crusade. <laughs> hmm. Uh, this guy can't rub two grails together. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, so, okay. So yeah, he's circling back through. Um, oh, when he goes home, this kind of whole like money thing, uh, that's going through the whole movie when he's right before he, he's like smiling at his wife politely while he's imagining her say like, I was just getting fucked by all these guys. Oh, yeah. Like, um, the question, the math question is, Joe has m- how much more money than Frank or something like yeah. that? It's just like, uh, this guy, he's like, yeah, I bet if I had more money than Joe, I right. wouldn't be drinking a can of Budweiser right now. I know, now. that, well, that seemed odd. That seemed to me like... Is that Stanley Kubrick misplacing what... It felt like it. ...class is? Yeah. Because... Unless he rose from working class and still enjoys a Budweiser, but it doesn't feel like a doctor would be drinking a Budweiser at that era. There does seem to be different points in the movie. The joke is like, Bill is basic. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's what his like orthopedic <laughs> shoes are. His and his Ugg boots. He's yeah. watching football. Drinking a beer. But out a of a glass. Is he, did he pour a Budweiser in a glass? Yeah. It looks dark. Maybe a Michelob. Yeah. Uh, there's a Rolling Stone interview around the full metal jacket time where Stanley Kubrick is like, the Michelob ads that are on TV right now is the purest form of cinema. That's he, right. Yeah, yeah. He like loved them. <laughs> and I noticed in the Jazz Sonata Club, there is like a Michelob kind of looking side above uh, oh, the... Interesting. Um, but yeah, so then he goes back out and, oh, when he... This is my favorite him at his like most pathetic <laughs> when he's in his work office and he calls the woman whose dad died. Yeah. 
trying to like maybe be like, oh, I guess I could hook up. She seemed into me. Yeah. And then her like fiance answers and he just like gets scared. And <laughs> That's why it's telling me he's not out to have an affair. He's out to patch a wound, you know? Yes. Like, just whatever I can get. And that, I mean, it's such a funny short-sighted thing too, because that won't make him feel better. No. Like if he gets a hotel room with that, <laughs> that yeah. lady. Yeah. And then he, he had no sexual interest in. Yeah. That was funny. So then um, he swings around. Uh, I think after that then goes to Domino's. Yeah. Um, and the Domino- pizza place. What's that? The pizza place. The pizza place. Mm-hmm. And the um, her corner is like on one corner is like a triple X video rental. And then the other side is like the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this guy, he might get HIV positive. Oh, right. Yeah. Now, I say that cheekily because I feel like that's the one thing of this movie that a little bit when it pops up now, I'm kind of like, uh, it's kind of corny. And very of its time. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of its time. Like, I know it certainly is still, but like... This script was written in like 93, 94, probably when by 1999, it was even kind of like a, I mean, yeah. certainly people are still dying of it, but yeah. like it does feel a little date. Why couldn't it just been like, oh, Domino's got the clap. Yeah. <sighs> She's in the hospital. She's got the clap. That, there, there is an otherworldliness <laughs> to this movie that does feel written by an alien that kind of is trying to get at what humans are like. Yeah. I always feel that with Kubrick, and it works really well in The Shining because The Shining is meant to be eerie. In this one, there is a like art. Of, there's like someone who understands 90% of life so well and then 10% <laughs> has no clue what humans move and yeah. talk like. And then you put Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise in there and it really exacerbates it, you know? Right, whereas like Jack Nicholson kind of brings this like yeah. muscular realism mm-hmm. or, or like weight, whereas those guys are a little... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think like this... This movie's like, I'll be like, behavior isn't always like in lockstep with, and like, story where the story goes doesn't always go where reality would go. But like, um, and he is like cold and unemotional, but there are moods and emotions that I felt in his movies that I felt more strongly than any other movie. Like, I do feel the feeling of jealousy in this movie, even though there's no point where I go, this character's feeling it and I feel that, or they're expressing it in a way that I feel, but like, I leave the movie going like, "Mm -hmm." yeah, I feel pumped out. (laughs) Is it because all of, almost all of his other films are, set in extreme circumstances, larger themes, sci-fi, horror, war. This one is the most naturalistic, but it's also, he hasn't done a movie in how long. He's arguably more removed from the real world than ever before. Since his last movie. Yeah, he's less in touch with what the world is. Yeah. And you can both feel him like nailing the the overarching themes, but kind of missing out on some of the human interactions in a, yeah. in a strange way. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, um, 
Yeah, sometimes there just seems to be like less interest in like it's almost like theater or something where like yeah, it's about the collision of two different forces and not necessarily like the recreation of a moment right. that I felt before. <laughs> but yeah, there's this sort of like, oh God, I hate myself even hearing this come Go out. Go for it, buddy. The Brechtian conflict of yeah. artifice is the best delivery for a message kind of thing. I yeah. Don't I don't know. Then you're not getting like caught up in... Yeah, but either get engaged or not and if you're not getting engaged fully like that is like a thing yeah. like I, there's points in this movie where um when she comes back and he comes back i always dread the scene where she recounts her dream to him and that could just because it's a particularly like unpleasant scene it's like a painful scene that's one i don't want to like experience yeah. but um that's the point in the movie where I kind of like fall out a little bit. Yeah. Um, Every time they go back to that apartment, I, I fall out and I don't. Yeah. I mean, I explained it earlier, but yeah, I'm not sure. I always know the movie's kind of like wrapping up when he shows up at the hospital where the big revolving door is. Yeah. Unconsciously, I always go like, oh, the movie, oh, it's almost over. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he found out he didn't uh, get a disease. Um. <laughs> Oh, and that is where the real life location bald head guy he picks up a newspaper that says "Lucky to be alive." I saw that. That's yeah, funny. yeah. And I think yeah that there's no extras there. There's a really good conversation between Scorsese and Ebert when they do the best movies of the '90s, and uh, they talk about how some critics thought they didn't like it because it didn't felt like New York. Yeah, but they're like by that point when the guys walking around there and there's nobody on the streets that feels like it's. I said this earlier. Just feels like it's yeah. not planet Earth, <laughs> right? That's true. Um, uh, I've only got two more notes. Yeah, can't wait to handle best kill for this movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do only kill? And even then, <laughs> did it happen? Um, uh, a couple things. Um, if people want to do a 1999 triple feature about insomnia, they could watch Bringing Out the Dead, Fight Club, and Eyes Wide Shut. Wow. Um, that newsstand, the guy at the newsstand, the only other person on the street there is this guy, Emilio, who's Stanley Kubrick's like uh, assistant for 30 years. Oh, so He's wow. a little cameo there. Okay. Um, I said that the writer of the article is this Larry Solona, yeah. who would also write real life articles about similar happenings. Um, oh, I wouldn't want to have to play a, Oh, we're here. I wouldn't want to have to play a corpse for Stanley Kubrick. No, that girl, how could you not breathe? That was your long shots without. Yeah. yeah. And you know, he was strict about it. And how many takes did they do? How could you get like jostled out and not be like, yeah. 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 Um, Now, they're at the billiards rooms. Um, oh, the one thing I like that changes in the billiards room is Tom Cruise starts finally like asking questions and not, he is such an empty vessel in this movie. I'm saying yeah. the point of the movie. Yeah. Have you noticed how often he just repeats what the other person no, just said? No, really? Oh. Somebody should do like a thing. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> When he particularly when he's like nervous or he's trying to seem cool, 
like uh, he'll just like repeat the thing. But when he's with uh, Ziggler, he still repeats a lot. Interesting. But so he starts going like, "Hey, you know, where does it happen where somebody winds up dead? Uh, a, a charade that w- ends with somebody up dead." Um, this is Ziggler's last line in their big billiard scene, and I like it a lot because uh, I think through the whole movie, it's like death is kind of like everywhere like that guy is is having sex with her she ods the woman he was maybe gonna hook up with gets killed domino gets hiv the woman's dead dad that he's with like it seems like sex gets thwarted by like dying but i like what he says at the end here he says hey someone uh, this is sydney pollock ziggler hey someone dies it happens all the time life goes on it always does until it doesn't. But you know that, don't you? Which I think the don't you is like, you're a doctor. You yeah, get how this yeah. goes. People live and die. But um, I know you haven't seen Barry Lyndon, but the like little code at the movie that's like actually very comforting is like all things are equal in death. Like you can get tripped up kind of like with class and who's mm-hmm. big and who's small, but like uh, fucking cares we're all gonna die and it's all equal and it doesn't even matter uh as weird as that billiard scene is i do take some cozy comfort in that (laughs) that thing he says at the end it is kind of like even if you were responsible for this girl dying like you're gonna be dead in 30 years who cares yeah jeez it's (laughs) bleak i'm sorry to be bleak uh but what are your last uh two two thoughts well just that Nicole Kidman's bloodshot eyes in that one shot seem real to me. Like Kubrick kept her up all night. Who knows? That's yeah. And uh, he said, Tom Cruise, tell her your deepest, darkest secret. Yeah. And it's like, he was like right before action. And Tom Cruise She's said, like, uh, days of thunder. Isn't my favorite movie. <laughs> you told me. <laughs> Roll. It's action. Out, it's outsiders. And a, I read that Lily Sobieski, collects a lock of hair from every major star she works with, but Tom Cruise wouldn't give her one. <laughs> oh my God. That's true. That's awesome. And then Tom Cruise being so paranoid, probably that he was going to be cloned or something. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, I bet he like, he's got some, his ear to the ground in terms of some yeah. tech. And oh, he goes yeah. like, a, this girl, this Sobieski is going to try to clone me. If I'm cloned, I won't be clear. I'll have to go through all that shit again in Scientology. Well, she obviously loves clones. She's a clone of Helen Hunt. I know. No kidding. <laughs> and then speaking of last lines of the billiard scene, the last line of this movie yeah, how about that? What a knockout. I, I didn't like it. I I just find her character to be so soulless. Mm. I don't get it. So you're not like, you don't believe at the end that like what she's saying is like, now let's get to that bedroom and do that nasty No, I do she's, believe she's saying that, but I believe that seems to be all she kind of... I just, I don't know. There, I don't find her character to be developed enough where I, like, what's the point of hanging around this woman? I, 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 I see humanity in yeah. Cruz, which is ironic because I can't uh, name another yeah. movie that I see humanity in him. Right. She seems ruthless in this movie to me. I, I don't see any kindness in her. Yeah, and you what know, is he, why it does could he be a mis- form of uh, misogyny, which is like a man... Two men wrote this. A man directed it. 
they can only understand women as these cold, bloodless yeah. uh, creatures who are put on earth to make you feel jealous and go on weird odysseys of the mind that you get and she doesn't get. I, I can see that. But I just think of how much more powerful this movie would be if both of them had, you saw some instances of why they truly love each other, but maybe that's the point. I mean, this is where you get into Kubrick and his coldness. Is this how he sees the world? Because I, I'm, I'm having trouble articulating it, but I don't see why, other than like the fear of being abandoned or lost, why they even want to be with each other in this movie. Yeah. No, and like, uh, I think if somebody has like a slightly myth and misanthropic point of view about people in the world, like it, sometimes, especially if a movie's two hours and 40 minutes, it starts begging the question a little bit like, so they don't ever have a single moment of like, oh, honey. Yeah. I love your hair. Oh, you too. Like you, that shirt when you wear it, you look so good. Like, they're deliberately, they're going out of their way now to like not show warmth. Then it kind of becomes its own kind of weird, like, well, if you're trying to avoid sentimentality in movies, which I get, we all hate that or yeah, we, we, it can be awful. It's like the worst thing about going to the movies sometimes, but then to like go so far where it's like, there's no sentiment. It, yeah. Sometimes it can leave you a little like, yeah. And the fact that he comes home from his night, having tried to be unfaithful, but ultimately not. Because he failed. Yeah. yeah, he failed. Breaking down and confessing everything to her, when she confessed horrible things to him, almost with no remorse, but almost like to stab him. Yeah. It's a just an interesting dynamic that well, I, thought I just that- didn't have f- fun watching these cold people yeah. hurt each other. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit more of a connection between them. And then it would have been so much more powerful to see them become victim to their own or dissolving. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Um, yeah. The, um, yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, um, the, yeah, that last line, um, it's funny that she gets the close up. Like you can't, one, I mean, one cannot even remember the last shot of Cruz. Like, there's times where right. I go and I'll rewind. Yeah. And I'm like, what was the last shot oh, of him? Interesting. And it's just a simple, like, reaction shot. He's just listening to her. And, uh, yeah, at the end, um, uh, I do like it as a um, an answer to the what, like, the movie. Like, it feels like a satisfying end to that movie because it kind of is like... Uh, which he's like, there's only thing one left to do. It, for me, it's the double meaning of like, oh, reproduction, sex. Mm. That's the only thing we're really put on here to do is create, you know, other, not create with building a, a statue or, yeah. you know, a human being like you have sex. Uh, uh, but also the kind of like, oh, we get tripped up on all this stuff. Like, who has what? And are we happy in this? And are other people happier than us? But, like, one of the true free joys we get in life is to have sex. Like, that's the yeah. one thing that... you 
doesn't really you, people make it complicated by thinking you need money and power to obtain it but it's actually one of the nice free things we get so why not have that be the thing we do you know well, Matt. I, like, <laughs> I like it because you know she's making a point earlier on of like you think women can't have just venal desires and motives and in the end she's just like let's go do this I think where it leaves me cold is literally that that this is going to make me sound so cheesy and sentimental no, but no. I want it to be, and I understand why it isn't, but I want it to be, let's go home and make love. I know that sounds silly, oh. but it does seem so cold of like, I want to just take you home and almost like use you for sex. And we are just two meat sacks who are yeah. just, we're just using each other because we have no emotional connection. I will leave you in a heartbeat if a naval officer comes <laughs> along. You will go out and go to a sex party yeah. in in preemptive revenge or something. And in the meantime, we might as well just do the thing we want to do because one of those is inevitable. And it is such a bleak outcome for this movie. And again, with a state I'm in in my life, like everything gets totally. put through your own filter of, I just simply cannot believe that that, if if that became the reality in my life, that oh. kind of like flippant, I would, I would die. Yes, I would yeah. die. Yeah, we're yeah, we're two men who love uh, stayed in with the love of our wives. Like <laughs> so, yeah, I could. Uh, um, the one thing with the sharing, her sharing, that I thought was interesting when he comes back. Um. And she starts sharing the dream. At first, it seems like she's sparing him her feelings. She goes, I saw him, and then he looked at me and laughed. And then Tom Cruise went, Tom Cruise, Bill goes, uh, but it didn't end there, did it? And he kind of like forces her to tell the dream. And I was like, this is kind of the weird twisted dynamic these two have, which is like, sure, she shouldn't share maybe these truths that she has, but he's not sharing anything. Yeah. And after this night of Bacchanal, where he has so much to share, she goes, you didn't tell me all your dream. That's not all your dream. You got to tell me all your dream just to like, he knows what it's going to be. It's, he knows it's going to twist him up. Well, but it does feel like they have a role playing thing where he has the power in real life and she has the power emotionally of, and he almost like says is like submissive, like hurt me, hurt me. Yeah. Give me reason to go out. I mean, that's phantom thread is that is yeah. this guy like I demand control and power in all aspects of my life, except love and how you treat me. Yeah. And if sometimes you need to poison me in order for me to like get back to like not being a dick all the time, <laughs> like uh it does seem to be like, yeah, this is kind of the dark little dynamic these two like continue That's to play interesting out. you bring that i've been wanting to watch phantom thread again and i find phantom thread to be a superior film to this i think it I does think so that too. more yeah. elegantly yeah but now i really want to watch that is yeah. that a christmas movie there i think there, yes like because it. there's um a new year's eve moment where she goes out she goes out dancing and he leaves to go find her at the new year's eve ball and she goes to that old beach where they grow old <laughs> oh my god if old was the sequel to uh, Phantom <laughs> Thread was. That, he didn't get permission to make a sequel for it <laughs> um, the uh, one thing the last thing I was going to share is that um, before we do Soul Kill um, 
is uh uh oh love that music that op- begins and ends the movie yeah um uh jazz jazz waltz it's yeah. called yeah i was waltzing with my daughter after that was over i picked her up and waltzed around the room and <laughs> i learned how to play it on guitar at the beginning of quarantine oh really yeah. oh uh, oh cool <laughs> the um but the thing i was gonna say was um don't want it to dampen anybody's views but ever since i've heard it i think about it that the mixing sound mixing and mastering wasn't actually done for eyes wide shut like when he present when stanley kubrick presented it to the head of the studio that was just the scenes all locked together but like all the like sound stuff had to be finished and so that fell to leon vitale in a way that i think is sort of snotty at christopher nolan he was asked once if you could talk to stanley kubrick what would you ask and pretentious he goes like well, it's sort of a paradox because the question would be, what could you, what do you feel was like unfinished about Eyes Wide Shut? And he goes, because when I watch it, when I watch Eyes Wide Shut, there are very clear sound issues, uh, audio that isn't mixed well outside, inside, when people go indoors, outdoors. Hot kettle black. So true. My that, God. You're right. Talk about like, getting ear adjustment before you mix your movie the also worst he's colorblind mixer. and he oh, right. color timed the new 2001 that was re-released oh, and i was like uh he has that much pull at warner brothers he could he's like definitely at the sex party this is like unbridled <laughs> power that's why he's like dissing eyes wide shut be like it's not mixed well don't go back and rewatch <laughs> it because i don't want you to find it. um but um a, I think that's just like unclassy yeah. to talk about. B, like you're the fucking master and you know like that this movie could have been better. That said, there are times where like, now I'm the asshole, but like the only time I really notice it is there's a waitress at the diner at Gillespie's mm-hmm. and there's a point where at the very, one of the last things she says to him, she just has a full on British accent. Yeah. And I think that would have been looped. She seemed well. She almost like had a. I thought she had a British person. Clearly, was an English actress trying to do kind of like a, a Brooklyn, new, yeah, yeah. And it was just, it wasn't good, done. yeah. And then at the very end, it gets really dodgy. So maybe the whole thing would have been looped differently. That's the only thing I could ever like contemplate. There's also the like the Kate Blanchett. That dubbing does somehow feel false, but it feels more false in performance, not mixing. Yeah, but it does sound weird that it's like, it doesn't sound realistic, like the voice that would be coming out of a mask. No, and, so, and right? oh, truly Pot Kettle Black with Christopher Nolan there and Bane. Like, you got to be kidding me. True. Yeah. And when the thing I'll say about Christopher Nolan, I know he like loves to think of himself, like, I look, I love his movies. They're fun. Mm, summer shit. Yeah. But he loves imagining himself as the heir apparent to Stanley Cooper. Does he? Yeah, That's like ridiculous. his shots, uh, the relationship with like Warner Brothers, the reason like he did that. And no. I'm like, he's bro Stanley Kubrick. He's like all those guys that dress up like Joker think he's Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. You know? Well, and also I think about it, it's like, dude, he's adapting Lolita and A Clockwork Orange. You're adapting Batman comic books. <laughs> and look, they're the best Batman yeah. movies that could possibly be made. I love them. Yeah. But dude, you you bought that house making Batman movies. Yeah. You didn't 
by that house making Doctor Strange Love in 2001. No. Okay. So easy there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm biting my tongue because I I'm not I think I'm not really a Christopher Nolan fan anymore. Just say one nasty thing about Tenet him. was an absolute piece of shit, and I yeah. I have there are movies that I get they're like you like it I don't like it, but when people try to explain this movie. I'm like, you fine, like it or don't like it, but don't tell me that this movie was well structured. It's the, not. The it's thing in it love with its gimmick. On, and the thing it hinges on is that he is trying to fight to get this woman who's the talk about questioning the thrust of a the emotion of a relationship. He's like trying to he slept with the henchman's wife and he's trying to get back to her, but there's zero chemistry between them. She is just as, oh, we're supposed to think she's virtuous, but she's been in like a long-term relationship with, uh, what's his butt, the bad guy. Yeah, like, she's Brenna. just as dirty. Why is she like, supposed to be the heroine? And on a meta level, what this hinges on is he's forcing this concept to work and yeah. he's forcing a story onto it that doesn't adhere to the concept so both kill each other it and i could see as a bond fan oh. it just seems like a so misunderstanding of the appeal of bond and the mythos yeah. like he's trying to get at something but it it's like yeah he a gets poor in his own way i think he kind of needs batman you know he needs something to to pre-exist to tweak a little bit instead of starting from ground zero. I mean, yeah, I love Inception and like that I, I watch and I'm just like, I like oh, my, it's so cool this movie got made. Yeah. Insomnia is good too. Uh, I guess I liked um, Dunkirk okay, though I've never been like pulled back to watch it again. Yeah. Um, he's got the problem that uh, most stylists do, which is like at the end of the day, you can't not i don't think it's a choice of not wanting like heart and like recognizable enter it's what separates the greats from the mega greats like uh yeah i don't know like stanley coop or, or uh, scorsese's the top of the tips because yeah. he's a virtuoso technically but in each scene, there's three moments where you go, "Oh, I felt that. Yeah, I know that moment. I've that's totally yeah. something I've gone through." Like Spielberg too, yeah, doing his best, yeah, Spielberg too. And the aforementioned, uh, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. I, yeah, I think like his complete lack of um, misanthropy, like such a love for people. They're, they're, no character ever really gets mistreated or like made fun of in his movies because it's like. Why would you in yeah, life? You as gotta flawed love everybody. As they may be, yeah. yeah. No, you got. I gotta go watch Phantom Thread. Now. No, but I'm seeing Licorice Pizza tonight. That's right. Brother. I'm yeah. very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Only kill potentially is Mandy, <laughs> unless you talk about the death of the guy who died. What seemingly of natural causes. So, oh, right. The the dad who's dead on the death. That's yeah. Well, I'll say us. Mandy. Yeah, me too. Mandy. Um, unless Nick dies. So out of thirteen. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say uh, 12. I'm a 10. Hey, all right. So let's see. Let's let's rank the, the Tis the Mini Season Christmas movies before we close out here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, coming in at number four for me is Jack Frost. 
Ooh, even worse than Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not for you? What's your number four? Number four is Jack Frost. Number three is Silent Night, Deadly Night for me. Number three is Christmas Evil, but because of nostalgia, number two is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Number two for you Christmas is Evil. Number one, Eyes Wide Shut. And they were all equal in their power. It, oh, yeah. It's yeah. tough to choose between four equal. <laughs> Very much so. Hey, uh, let's see. Before we wrap up, I think as this uh, episode is coming out, um, you guys uh, have a new album out, don't you? Oh, you holy tell cow. Us tell us all. Actually, on this day, if you're a Patreon listener. That's right. Uh, 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 don't Stop or We'll Die. We have our album out. Go and check it out. You can buy it on Bandcamp or you can listen to it wherever you listen to play things, music and stuff. It's called uh, uh, Lives of Leisure, Song of Week, Volume 2. Very exciting. Yeah. So we're going to take a week off mm-hmm. and then be back with Scream. Oh my gosh. How exciting. It's so nice. What a nice little short break. Yeah. So we don't have to, uh, uh, you know, feel the loss for too long. I agree. Uh, and I hope people will be happy. I know I'm always appreciative having some pods to listen to over that Christmas break. Yes. They'll Maybe going for a little walk. You're with your family. You just need to go out for a little walk. You put your earbuds in. Boop. But go. basically within that break is when the draft episode is going to drop. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, there's never been a better time. Yeah. Uh, uh, make sure you close your windows so you don't feel a draft. But log into the Patreon so you can get the draft. And don't go to the post office and register for the selective service so that you get drafted in a war. I uh, we slid in a VHS tape of, from like 1984 that my friend just had. He taped off a TV, and it was so funny. It was like Saturday morning television, and Scott Bayo came on, <laughs> and Charles in charge like set up oh, no. on the set, and he's <laughs> like, ah, "If you in 18, you have to enlist, but there hasn't been a draft in 10 years." Or something like that it was like they still had to put that disclaimer. Oh. In, like, yeah, I know your older brother was killed, but don't worry. <laughs> this time at least, oh we won't God. draft you. Did you go? Do you remember when you did that? Did you do it? I did. Yeah, I, I remember going. It was right when the Gulf War broke out in '91. Oh, wow. and I wasn't like there was no talk of there being a draft, but it was weird to go down there when there was a war happening. Kind of like here you go. Uh, I mean, I know hippies. Uh, or rightfully, <laughs> people fought to that the draft is whack and the draft is whack. Officially whack. But I do think we'd have more of a conscience about war and the battles we fight if there was a draft. Compensatory service of some kind. Because yeah. I think it's easy for people to compartmentalize. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, other people are doing this, but if you really had to think about, like, could my child yeah. be drafted, what we're doing right now? Eh, give me a, why am I ending on this? this a is, we're going to end on one to crow on, one to think about, and that's more for you to know. Peace, I'm just saying peace on earth during this Christmas Goodwill holiday season. Yeah. God rest ye merry gentlemen, gentlewomen. Follow us in merry measure. We won't go until we get some little Jack Frost. Get lost, get lost. I've been listening to so much Bing Crosby and there's the song Little Jack Frost and at the end, because he the refrain is Little Jack Frost, get lost, get lost. And the last line of the song he goes, LJM, get lost, get lost. Or no, oh. LJ Frost, get lost, get lost. He just abbreviates That's- for no reason. What people do when they're around their house and they're trying to make their spouses laugh. You'll be yes. like, taking care of me. Get, 
<laughs> taking care of beeswax. <laughs> well, Paul, so much fun. You know, when you suggested this movie, I remember saying like, uh, hey, that movie, the best part about this podcast is talking movies and talking about the life that we think of when we talk about movies. And I couldn't think of a better movie. Eyes Wide Shut is just so fun to talk about. It's, it's pretty cozy for all its coldness. And uh, I'm glad we had we ended on a, a strong movie. <laughs> Me too. It, much like the final... Um, ding! 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 Note that the piano plays in the movie. I feel like we played a very uh, strong, strong last note. Cue the waltz. Actually, it's the end credits to this podcast. But goodbye. Bye! For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.